A busy week in the NHL started off with a piece of news that no one saw coming. Uh, what people also didn't see coming is the, the New Jersey Devils winning another lottery, but it wasn't the one they were hoping for. Uh, what we did get this week was five game sevens, both more dramatic than the previous one. We'll recap it all in episode 320 of the Lace Up Podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. As uh, a lot of people know, the New York Islanders have returned to playoff relevancy over uh, the past three seasons. Of course, this year they're not in the playoffs. Uh, And they did what most people didn't expect in a million years they would do, especially with a year left on his contract, and that was fire Barry Trotz. Uh, they need a new head coach, Brett, and I don't know why. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't heard, uh, and what's, <laughs> I guess to give more details to what Steve just said, um, yeah, uh, Barry Trotz was let go by Lou Lamarillo. Um, it's interesting, too, because Lam- Lamarillo is a, um, you know, he's kind of known as that guy who does all these, like, secret little things and um like back when he was the toronto gm he would like put a lot of like supposedly healthy guys on ir and that was like like very very suspicious he always does these like little like sneaky little things here and there um and he always like uh keeps he's notoriously known as the guy who keeps everything to himself um, to the point where he was asked, like, why did he fire Barry Trotz? And he said, like, yeah, that's a private matter. And he, he didn't even talk to anyone, not even the owners or any anyone who works for him. He just fired Barry Trotz. Um, so it is very odd on Lou Lamarillo. Of course, he's a great GM, but um, it is a little strange that he's doing it this way. Um, and and not to mention the fact that like yeah the what the Islanders had a bad season. There's no getting around that. Um, but I don't think it's Barry Trotz's fault. Um, I mean they started off the year where they couldn't even get a home game until like November. I mean of course that's not like the only reason why, but that probably doesn't help. Um, and then you have, uh, they got stuck with the Omicron stuff. Uh, they did, they did make a late push towards the end of the year. Um, and that could be, you know, that was nice, but, uh, yeah, they just never were able to build on it. Um, and the, the start, and they just got into too big of a hole, um, to, to get out of it. Um, also like the Metropolitan Division's a pretty tough division, so... Um, so maybe that had something to do with it as well. But like they ended the season 37, 35, and 10. They had a winning record. Um, I don't think it was Barry Trotz's fault that they, um, they were, were that way. Um, there is some unconfirmed rumors, so I repeat unconfirmed, but that uh, there is a theory going around, a rumor going around that Matt Few Barzal 
is, was not happy with uh, Barry Trotz, and he mentioned this in the exit interviews. Um, and I guess that could make some sort of sense because I remember there was like a couple of, like I think there was like a weekend, um, maybe in January, where like uh, Matthew Barzal was not like where Barry Trotz was asked where Matthew Barzal was. And Trot said, like, I have no idea where Matt Barzal is, um, which is a little odd. And it, it was kind of funny at the time, but now that you think about it, if this is actually true, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe there is some truth to that. And if that is the case, then, yeah, you ha always have to go with the star player uh, versus the coach. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it was a little odd to, to, hear, that, um, to hear that news that he was like, oh, yeah, well, and if you keep it into the sense of the Eric Islanders, it makes perfect sense why you look after the star players because I don't know if you've noticed, Brett, they've lost a lot of star players. Sure. Starting with John Tavares, who left for Toronto in 2018, then they tried to get Artemi Panarin and lost him to a division rival that has, uh, you know, Broadway perks, which, of course, Long Island doesn't have. Mm -hmm. So who are you going to kick off the island? The star player, the coach? It's obviously the coach. However, in a normal circumstance, even if all of this was on the shoulders of Barry Trotz and it ends up being his fault, at least you give him one more year to write the ship and prove that it wasn't. Because here's the amount of progress the Islanders made during his time there. Right off the bat, first year, they have a decent team, but they're not expected to do much of anything, and they make it to the second round. Second year, they go right to the Eastern Conference Finals in the bubble, in the COVID bubble, and they lose in six games to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, spoiler alert, won the Stanley Cup. So they lost the defending, uh, to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. History repeats itself the next year, except they force Tampa Bay to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Tampa Bay wins the Cup again. And this year, not only do you have a 13-game road trip to start the year, you also get hit with COVID like everyone else, but in particular, the Islanders were hit pretty hard. I think uh, a week, a week and a half of their schedule was impacted by COVID. And the last 99 days of the season, they played 50 games, Brett. Like, that's that's just unrealistic, especially in that tough division yep. to make the playoffs. Like, the Detroit Red Wings kept Jeff Blashill probably a couple years longer than a lot of people thought they would. Right. And their postseason streak ended like six years ago. So when I see this news that Barry Trotz isn't coming back, I'm thinking, okay, when you fire a coach with one year remaining on his five-year contract that he signed with you guys, and he went through hell and earth this year with the team and gave them all kinds of progress the three years prior, there has to be something more to this story. When Lula Morello was asked, he's like, I don't want to get into details. And Doug Waite, the coach that was replaced by Barry Trotz, said – and this is the lead into uh, the article that was written about it. Quote, I know something else is going on. I don't know if he knows, but like if he has a gut feeling that he knows. It's one of the two. But I, I think we can all see that whatever happened behind the scenes was enough to say we can't keep Barry Trotz around for even a couple more months because this is going to get pretty testy if it does. Now, this the ripple effect is why this move is so shocking because as you know Barry Trotz has Mitch Korn right. by his side it seems everywhere he goes 
and they get results not only from behind the bench, but in the crease, goaltending. Goaltending has improved everywhere they've gone, and they could shake up the entire NHL if they combine forces yet again and head out because Mitch Korn is still at the Islanders organization. He's not the goaltending coach. He's in a different capacity with the team. But if he leaves his position to go where Barry goes, this could cause uh, a lot of interesting dynamics to unfold in the coaching realm. And it won't happen in Vancouver because they kept Boost Boudreaux on board. But you still have a lot of other landing spots. Philadelphia, coaching vacancy. Detroit, coaching vacancy. Winnipeg as an interim coach. Depending on how Florida's run goes in the playoffs, they don't have to keep Andrew Burnett because he's also an interim coach. You have the Devils who have gone through several losing seasons. And I'm not sure Lindy Ruff is the right guy. Maybe he goes back home to Nashville after the series sweep they went through. Uh, Montreal isn't uh, necessarily married to Martin St. Louis behind the bench, so maybe there's a possibility there. Um, depending on how the Oilers fare uh, later, uh, later on down the road as the playoffs go on, maybe they turn to him. But there are two spots in particular that I'm really looking at, and that would be Toronto and Vegas. Yep. If they're really confident in their plan and in their vision, they're going to go somewhere else. But, I mean, Barry Trotz, with the amount of success that he's gotten with other teams, in particular the past three to four years with the Islanders, how do you not even just contemplate the idea of Barry Trotz coaching your team? Yeah, I, I think uh, like maybe even more than half of the league uh, has... Yeah has uh, coaches that are worse than Barry Trotz. So um, even if you do have, <laughs> even if you do have a good coach in your system, then yeah, might as well grab him off. Um, so it's just great. the fact that he's won in almost every situation yep. he's been in. Yeah. And plus you add that Mitch Korn effect too. that, like everywhere he goes, whether it's Nashville, Washington, or the Islanders, like, the goalie always gets an upgrade, and that can't hurt your team. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, there there could be something there. I was, yeah, Vegas was my initial thinking. I know Pete DeBoer isn't fired just yet, but I, I think it's inevitable that DeBoer is about to be fired pretty soon. Um, but, um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, and then the other thing to talk about before we, we talk about the playoffs is uh, Montreal wins the lottery. Um, and uh, so they get to, they'll probably, um, it's not 100%, but it's like 99% uh, that they're going to draft Shane Wright. Um, <laughs> it would be funny if they ended up drafting Jack Hughes, who is the um, Kent Hughes' son. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely Shane Wright. Um, and does Jack Hughes play center? Because I know which I think spot he does. they're taking, and that's number one center. I think he does, yeah, actually. But it would, uh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I'd still go with Shane right there. <laughs> yeah, I think I would. It was funny because uh, I can't use is actually asked about this, and he said like, "Yeah, I'm not drafting my son." But um, but then like they Jack, he's like, the second round. They'll yeah. take it, but no, no. I, I think he's projected as a late first round pick, so I don't know if he'll be okay. available by then. But we'll see. I don't know. The, the Habs do have some late uh, late first, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So. That could, that could come to yeah. later. Um, and then speaking of Jack Hughes, the other Jack Hughes' team, uh, New Jersey gets second overall. Um, this year, uh, just from the brief like research that I've done on this on this draft class, 
Um, it seems like it's there's no consensus second overall, um, but I would guess that New Jersey will probably go defenseman. Um, so they'll probably either take Simon Nemec or, um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing all these guys' names, um, or David Yerichek, um, who are both Czech defenders, um, and those seem to be like the top defensemen in this draft. Um, or they might go with Jaraj Slavkovsky, who, uh, who made his mark in the Olympics, um, and he also had a pretty good season um, in Liga. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see it. It, I don't, it is funny how they've tried, the NHL has tried to curb teams like New Jersey and Edmonton and um, all these they, teams they too. They yeah. the lottery for the third overall pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, uh, and, and, and yet, yeah, and New Jersey still wins some, it, um, even when, yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of crazy. But at least they didn't get first overall. That would have been kind of nuts. Yeah, that would but, have been a rip-off, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, second overall, I guess, I mean, you know, I like New Jersey. It, it would be exciting to see, like, you know, instead of having the pressure to get that other center, because they don't need another center, um, they they can try to focus on positional needs instead. Um, so so that's, that's probably um, a good thing for them in the long run. Or not in the long run, but we'll see. Um, it's also interesting too that I found that Shane Wright even though he had that exceptional status and he had a crazy um, OHL season as like a 15 year old um, he hasn't had that good of a season this year um, in the OHL or as good as we expected him to be so um, so maybe it's just time to like temper your expectations on Shane Wright um, he's still going to go first overall I would imagine he'll still be a really really good player but he's not going to be a Connor McDavid. He's going to be more of a, I don't know, like a Nico Heischer um, type player. It seems like, um, but but we'll see. Um, you know, now, of course I'm wrong. Before, <laughs> I we the, before we get to the other topics, I will want to point out Shane Wright is fourth in faceoffs taken in the OHL. Yeah. So he's definitely experienced at taking faceoffs at this point. Yeah, also, I heard that too. He didn't play all of last season because COVID had zero. Uh, because COVID basically allowed zero right. OHL games to be played. Right. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, those are things to get to consider. But that, I mean, like not playing for a year it definitely is like, you know, not good for your development, I would yeah. imagine. So. But even then, yeah. like he was on, on a loaded Kingston team with yeah. uh, some other weapons that I, th- I think Lucas Evans have finished with more points than Shane Wright. Too. Right. So, so uh, Kingston was pretty stacked with the offense. He also had a trio of North Bay Fours that finished top ten in scoring too. Uh, Brandon Coe yeah. was uh, one of them. Um, so it, it it wasn't like an electrifying Marco Rossi shoots uh, the OHL out of the sky type of league. Right. But Shane Wright got very good numbers considering that he spent away a, a year away from the game. Uh, because there was no OHL season. Uh, and I still think he's a number one center that Montreal desperately needs. The last time the Canadians selected first overall was 1980, if you can believe wow. it. They've won a couple of Stanley Cups since then. Uh, and they did get a couple of um, lottery picks. They got Cockney Emmy uh, third overall in 2018. I'm sure a lot right. of people would have preferred to check at this point, but still. Uh, they got Kakanami there. They also got Cole Caulfield at 15th in 2019, Sergachev ninth overall in 2016, and then they traded him to Tampa Bay for Jonathan Druin. Right, right. right. Uh, the Devils have 
had a lot of lottery luck. I will, I will um, point out this reality. The New Jersey Devils are drafting second overall. The Ottawa Senators are drafting seventh overall. And as you know, a lot of uh, uh, both of those teams have been near the bottom of the barrel for quite some time. And Buffalo, it's a different story because now that they're rebuilding, they kind of need as much assets as they can. In the case of the Arizona Coyotes, it's the same with them, and they probably need to take the best player available at this point. But if I'm New Jersey, if I'm Ottawa, I'm at least thinking about do we keep this pick and draft this pick, or do we trade it away and get immediate help? Because the Devils and the Sens have been near the bottom of the barrel for so long, and if they don't really significantly improve, the odds of them being at this exact spot next year are pretty good. Um, you think you should trade it for immediate health? Honestly, I, I'd be tempted. I'd be tempted. Yeah. There are teams that'd be willing to get the second overall pick, but if I'm New Jersey, I'm not really sure if this is going to be a game-changing pick that helps in the immediate term when you've already got the likes of a Jack Hughes and a Nico Escher and Jesper Pratt that took strides. Austin Mercer, and too. Sure and Govich and Andreas Johnson and all those guys. Yep. If, yes, if I'm that. New Jersey, I need immediate help. I have cap space. I can afford to make a move like that. It's the same with Ottawa. So I'm interested to see what New Jersey and Ottawa does because um, – while the second and the seventh overall pick respectively could help them, I think immediate help would probably help them more. And again, in the yeah. case of Arizona at number three, you take the best player available, you keep that pick. Yeah, I don't know. I That is a good point. I, I, I think New Jersey will probably still keep their pick um, just because it is a second overall pick and like that could hurt them in the long run. Because like, yes, there isn't really like a Evgeny Malkin, Jack Eichel, Patrick Laine type player out there but like you're still gonna get a good player um so so and like you know it may not be like right away but you're you're gonna get a good player for them and you know who knows how good jesper bratt's gonna be um in two or three years who who knows how good um any of these you know andreas johnson um you know dawson mercer looks great uh at the start but who knows if he can be consistent uh, same like Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer both have injury history so like maybe they do take Logan Cooley who's like the next best uh, center available so um, so yeah it's it's definitely you know something to consider um, but I, I it would have to be a lot to get uh, the Devils to to trade their pick um, yeah but I, I do hear what you're saying um something they should keep in mind. Not yeah. saying they should, just something right. they should Right, no, no, that's fair, that's fair. Alright, uh, so we're going to start off, uh, it's fun, it's like a tradition of ours of doing obituaries for all the playoff teams that are out of there. Um, it is funny that we don't do obituaries for non-playoff teams, because it's like, <laughs> their season was already dead to begin with, but... Um, but yeah, so we're gonna start off with the Atlantic Division because we always do, um, and then we'll work our, and then we'll do a preview of that um, semifinal game, and then um, and then we'll we'll go to the next division. We also have a little fun little game that we're gonna do at the end of this, where we're gonna do a power ranking of the eight remaining teams left, and that will be definitely fun. That both me and Steve have been looking forward to presenting to the to the public. So that's gonna be fun. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off with the Atlantic, and we're going to start off the obituaries with 
the Washington Capitals, who lost to the uh, Florida Panthers in six games. Um, it was actually pretty impressive because I. It was funny when Florida won Game Six. I had thought that Washington had all had a three-two lead on on Florida because there were a couple I think, times. I think Washington was also up in Game Four, so like yeah, they were yeah. close to being up three games to so, one in that. So, series. so that that's what confused me because they were up. Uh, uh, like Florida came back from behind, I guess in Game Four and in Game Five and in Game yeah. Six too. So I had like I had assumed that what like I had forgotten that Florida actually just like won two of those games, um, and uh, yeah, so it was three two at the time instead, and so I was excited because I was like, oh, we might get six game sevens. Um, instead, we ended up getting five. I know, boohoo, but um, <laughs> it, it was it was it, it just shows how like how much we underestimated. Um, the Washington Capitals team. Um, I think part of it was just because I thought that um, Ovechkin was like, you know, I, I think uh, there were Ovechkin hadn't even played like the last two weeks of the season. It was unclear of how a hundred percent he was when he was there. He was actually pretty good in the series, so uh, no knocks on him. Um, the thing that's interesting when I look at the Capitals cap friendly page. Uh, they don't have a ton of free agents um, coming up this year other than Ilya Samsonov and uh, Vitek Vanacek. But both of those guys are RFAs. Um, sure, you do have U- UFAs of Marcus Johansson, Joanne Larson, Justin Schultz, Michael Kepney, uh, Matt Irwin, and Phoenix Copley. But all those guys, you could afford to lose. Um, so, uh, it's, it's like, I, I guess that's a good thing or, and a bad thing, um, that like, you know, there's not a ton of cap flexibility for this Caps team, but, um, but, and like, you know, their core is locked up for the relative long term, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Washington is on the downward spiral, it feels like, um, and we're going to talk about like the Penguins and the Bruins, because I feel like all three of those teams are in a similar stage, um, and um, yeah, I, I feel like they're going to be in the middle ground. Of course, they'll you know they still have Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, but and, and John Carlson, and like who knows how good Samsonov and Vanacek can be in the long term. But um, but yeah, I don't know if they're like ever going to be serious cup contenders again unless they make big uh, big changes. Yeah, uh, I feel like that scenario for those three teams would be good enough to make the playoffs, but not good enough yep. to make it out of the first round. Right, like, which is uh, which is never what you want to be. That's like the worst. Yeah, no, you don't want to yeah. be uh, circling the drain yeah. of mediocrity like Minnesota was. Like right. good enough to get there, first round. Yeah, that's where it is. Yeah. Um, Alex Ovechkin, you mentioned uh, the incredible season that he had, ninety points in seventy-seven games. Shocker, another fifty-goal season on the nose. And 16 power play goals, took 334 shots. Waiting for that uh, regression for a guy in his late 30s, but hasn't arrived yet. Um, he's still pretty good. And you mentioned the injury. Um, point a game player in this series, but only one goal on 19 shots. The good news for the Washington Capitals is TJ Oshie arrived. Uh, and he only played 44 games in the regular season, was a minus 12, only got 11 goals and 25 points. 
But in the playoffs, you needed a guy to step up goal-scoring-wise. TJ Oshie did that. He got six goals and one assist in those six games, four of them on the power play, so he was a power play threat there. 27.3 shooting percentage. If I'm the Caps, I'm hoping that continues because you're going to need uh, offense to emerge outside of Backstrom and Ovechkin, who, like I said, were both good. Evgeny Kuznetsov in the regular season was the point-of-game player, got five points in six games. So his play was relatively fine. Uh, Carlson had five points in six games, another good regular season for him as well. Anthony Mantha, four assists in six games, but didn't score on 16 shots. Uh, If I'm looking at next year, and I do realize that Anthony Mantha only played 37 games and only got 23 points in those 37 games. Hopefully a healthy regular season awaits because the real Anthony Mantha that was in Detroit hasn't shown up in Washington consistently yet. Um, If I'm Washington, that's what I'm hoping to see as well. John Carlson had a pretty good regular season with 24 goals and 52 points. Uh, In the playoffs, uh, he was decent, uh, but not electrifying. And I think part of that is because... uh, he did miss a, a couple of games, if I uh, remember correctly, because uh, there were some games he was banged up. Actually, yeah, yeah, some games he only played one, and he scored on two shots in that game and yeah. played less than minutes. So not having him in the se- in the series for the balance of it, I think uh, helped um, Florida's odds to an extent. At the same time, the reason why um, I didn't expect Washington to go deep in these playoffs is because Florida's got a crap ton of depth. Uh, The thing is, that depth and their star players were pretty stagnant throughout the first three games. And there was actually a time where I'm just like, man, the Caps are going to put the Panthers on the brink of elimination. They're going to be up three to one, and they have three chances to close out this Florida team. And uh, then Carter Verhage happened, and uh, their hopes and dreams were dashed. And it all comes down to execution. You mentioned all of those leads that they had against Florida and they couldn't hold on. That is a product of clutch defense and clutch goaltending that this team does not have right now. And it's going to be something that they're going to struggle to uh, improve upon because, like you said, of the cap space. But also, if you look at the options uh, on the open market in terms of defense, but also goaltending, they're not as vast as they've been in previous years. In particular, last year, there were a lot of goalies where you go, mm, he'd be nice on our team. And this year, it's basically down to Jack Campbell, a year of starter, Billy Huso, and Darcy Kemper. Right. Those are basically your top three options, and that's it. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I'm not really sure what to say outside of Washington, except... Uh, if you get used to more playoff appearances down the road, don't expect to go far. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that, yeah, they they did have a, a lead um, in a, cu- a couple of those games, but I don't think, like, Washington should feel too bad because, like, Florida does that comes back from behind all of the time now. So it's like, it, like, that's something that, like, that's just a part of their DNA now. I'm in Florida, so I, I don't think, like, you know, obviously it sucks to lose those leads and blow them, but, um, but yeah, at the same time, it's just, uh, you know, that's just how good Florida is, is that they, like, it doesn't even matter how, how much they're losing by the, well, uh, Florida's always in it, 
Um, I feel like the level yep. of frustration is just higher in Washington this time is because they had a chance in this series. Yeah. They had a chance to potentially take down Florida at least four seven. True. And they had chances to make that happen, and they couldn't capitalize when it. Yeah, happened. that's totally fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess it's like you know, I I was like we both had Florida in five. Um, and yeah. So it, yeah, it's I'm, just impressive. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I thought this series would be one sided, and the and the Capitals are gonna yeah. kill. It was impressive, yeah. I am curious to see what they'll do in goal in the future or how good Vanacek and Samsonov will be. Um, it seems like, you know, Samsonov wasn't actually that bad in the playoffs, uh, but he wasn't good in the regular season, so I am just curious how, like, how consistent can Samsonov be um, in the regular season from now on? Um, of course, Imagine like... Imagine you live know, in a society where their solution is Zach Vicali. Yeah, that'd be funny, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, too, because, like, you know, for a while now, it was always, like, talked about how, like, Shosturkin, Sororkin, and Samsonov are going to be the future of goalies, and they just so happen to be Russian goaltenders, and they have their last name starts with S. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, Shosturkin and Sororkin have lived up to the hype so far. Samsonov has been a little bit disappointing. Um, he's been He's been okay, but not, like, as good as... Shosturkin or Sororkin has been. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if he can ever, like, even, you know, he's probably, obviously, he's never going to live up, be like what Shosturkin has been, or we shouldn't expect him to be. But, but I, you know, maybe we can see him be like a 915, 918 type, type goalie. That would be, that would be nice to see. But, um, but that's, but yeah, it, it'll just be interesting to, or something to keep an eye on for sure in the future. Uh, now we go on to the Leafs obituary, um, which is sad that I'm actually saying this because I predicted them in my Stanley Cup finals. I actually thought this was going to be their year that they were going to make a run. I think it's just interesting. I know, I know, of course, but it shows what I, I know or shows that like I should never have faith in this Toronto team. Um, this is their, um, I was actually looking here in the past. This is actually the sixth time that Austin Matthews and Mitchell Marner have uh, lost in the playoffs in the first round, um, which is just insane to me. I mean, of course, Austin Matthews is um, 24 years old, Marner's 25, so they're still pretty young. But, like, at the same time, I'm just thinking, like, you know, they're only going to be, like, this age for one year. Like, you can only, like... I mean, obviously that happens with everyone, but like, uh, like you're these. This is the prime years of Matthews and Marner. Like, yeah, they'll still be pretty good later on, but this is like the moments when you have to take advantage of it. And you know, the, like I, I don't like I didn't expect them to win the cup this year, but I thought they would legitimately make it past the first round. I know Tampa's a tough team, but it's just. I don't know. And, like, the thing is, it's like, you know, they work on their defensemen, so they go out and get, like, Jake Muzzin, they get TJ Brody, they got Mark Giordano, um, Ila Ulabushkin, um, you know, they also have Sandine and Lilligren in the mix, um, and, uh, and then they go out, like, next year, they were like, okay, well, goaltending's gonna be the issue. And so then Jack Campbell kind of surprises a little bit. They go out and get Peter Morazic, who didn't really end up helping them. This is kind of where they messed up a little bit with uh, Freddie Anderson. They let go of Freddie Anderson. But, um, I mean, 
Freddie Anderson was injured during this uh, during this playoff, so who knows how much um, if he would have been injured um, this time. But but yeah, it's like uh, and then it's just like I don't even know what the Leafs can do now. Like yeah, I I, I know that a lot of people are saying like stay the course, don't make any like rash decisions and things like that. But I don't know. I I think at the same time it's just like. This is six years with Matthews and Marner. I like I I I feel like you have to do something. Uh, you, you just can't like I, I feel like it's a mistake to not uh, do anything so rash. Like I know that it's, it's probably what they should do, but uh, I I just I just don't see it. It's just um, insane to me. Um, the uh, they in terms of free agents this coming year that they have to worry about, uh, Jack Campbell's probably the biggest one. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he gets, considering like the Leafs are always in cap hell. So, um, I but they at the same time they do need to keep their starting goaltender. Um, so I'll be curious to see what what happens with him. Um, he'll probably be the most inter- one of the most interesting. Uh, free agents, not just just in terms of like a team perspective, but like just in all of the NHL. Um, and then you know, of course, they have Mark Giordano, who's a rental. Um, Labushkin's in UFA as well. Jason Spezza, Colin Blackwell, and Ilya Mikheyev are UFAs. And then in terms of RFAs, you have Andre Cache, Pierre Engvall, um, Rasmus Sandin, and Lilligren are RFAs as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Sandine and Lilligren, you have to lock up, and Jack Campbell are the big ones that they have to worry about. Um, but, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I, I think that that is, like, just how the Leafs are constructed, is that they get, um, you know, they have guys like um, Marner making $10 million. You have Tavares making $11 million. You have Matthews making $11.6 million. Uh, you have uh, Nylander making six point nine million, um, and then you get uh, Morgan Riley about to be making seven point five million next year for a few more years. After that, it's just like that's like fifty one. I think I did the math. I think that's like fifty two percent of the cap, assuming it's a flat cap. Um, so that means that you have five players all uh, making fifty two percent of the team's cap um and you know Matthews and Miners and Tavares are of course worth it I I don't know it's just uh like I I feel like you have to like make some changes and I guess the obvious thing is William Nylander is probably going but I don't even know if that's smart too because I think like the Leafs do need to help on their depth uh on their depth forwards so it's just like the trade would have to be right if you're going to trade William Nylander I get it um, he seems to be the most expendable of the core, but like, what can you get for him? I I don't know. And that's the argument that Steve Dangle made. Like every uh, like every team you go to is like, hey, you want William Nealander? We're trading him. Yeah. You're just gonna be like, yeah, okay. Right. Um, what What do you want for him? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you're gonna be asking for a lot. Obviously, you're gonna be asking for prospects. You're gonna yeah. ask for future. And they, they know you, that you get like one of the first round yeah. picks you give up to get. Yeah, and, and they know that you're not going to, like, they know that you, like, you need him gone to in order to help their team, so it's not like, yep. you know, they're going to make it easy on him, on you. Yeah, 
they they need they need cap space more. That would be my retort. Right. Before we get into what True. they could do, let's just talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs in a nutshell this year. They had yep. 54 wins this year. Team record by miles and miles and miles. 115 points, I think it was. Team record by miles and miles and miles. Austin Matthews had a 60 goal season, and he only played 73 games. Yep. Mitch Marner, best season of his career. Nothing wrong with Matthews and Marner in the playoffs either. Both were yeah, they were really good. Both delivered. Um, John Tavares, five, six, and seven games. Five, six, and seven. They got him involved in the offense, and those were his best games of the series. He almost Marner had a, a he almost had a goal in uh, game seven, but. Uh... I guess yeah. the refs yeah, that to year goal in game yeah. seven that that obviously hurt, and we'll yeah. get to that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Bunting, great uh, offensive yep. season. I said he would be a steal, even more so of a steal, and yep. he's up for rookie of the year as well. Even though he's only I think 15, 16 days younger than Nathan McKinnon, yeah, <laughs> who crazy. won the Calder like eight years ago. Just putting it out there. Uh, but yeah, uh, th- they had some guys that really delivered in the regular season, like Alex Kerfoot, Morgan Riley. Both were pretty good in the playoffs, too. Pierre Engvall, the regular season he had, he had his moments. David Camp, Eli McKayev had their moments, too. TJ Brody was pretty good on the back end as well. Justin Hall, I know people are going to rip on him in the series, but you know what? There were some moments throughout the season where he played well mm-hmm. as well. And. They go into the series against Tampa Bay with home ice. And it's not like, oh, they eat them out by like a couple points in the regular season. They were a couple wins ahead of them in the regular season. And in that regular season, four games they played, Toronto won the first and the third game, Tampa won the second and the fourth game. And Steve Dangle in his, in his, um, Recap his Leafs recap the end of game seven. Uh, friend mentioned to him the Leafs and the Lightning played 11 times this year, and over those 11 games, first four being the regular season, it went like this Toronto, Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Tampa. The only time where a team won two straight. And the regular season plus the playoffs was Tampa in game six and seven when their season was on the line. Yep. Starting with game six in overtime, where I don't know how hurt Braden Point was, but he was okay enough to score the OT winner and not okay enough to even continue once the second period started. The Toronto Maple Leafs didn't have to deal with Braden Point for two thirds of game seven. For the balance of game seven, they didn't have Braden Point. And the games that they did at Braden Point, he was MIA offensively, and maybe the injury played a factor in that. But at the end of the day, Tampa found ways. They didn't lead in the series, by in the series I mean, they didn't have a series lead until the final seconds of game seven where they won the series. Toronto was in the driver's seat or tied. And the way they won those three games, they being the Toronto Maple Leafs, was a convincing, commanding 5 nothing win where Tampa was living rent-free in their head. And by rent-free in their head, uh, I should say the other way around, Toronto was living rent-free in Tampa's head. And because of, you know, taxes, that's awesome. <laughs> Corey Perry just going after Wayne Simmons. And you don't see that too often from Corey Perry against anybody. Game three... Tampa turns it on the third period. It doesn't matter. At least find a way to win that. 
And with the way Game 5 started, I look back and think if Tampa loses this series, this is where they lost it. In Game 5, where they have Toronto on the ropes, on the penalty kill, with a 2-0 lead, they can't extend it to make it 3-0. If Tampa extends that lead to 3-0 in the early stages of Game 5, Toronto is swimming, just trying to keep their head above water, trying not to drown. And the Leafs somehow find a way to win Game 5 and go into Tampa with a 3-2 series lead. And they were up 3-2 heading into the third period. But Tampa, with their backs against the wall, finds a way to get to overtime. Braden Point does his thing. And they outscored the Leafs 2-1 in Game 7, thanks to Nick freaking Paul. Yep. Who didn't score zero playoff goals before that point because this was the first ever playoff series in the NHL. And his first two goals eliminate the Maple Leafs from another potentially lengthy Stanley Cup run. What changed from this Leafs team to other Leafs teams? I was looking at Steve Dangle's Leafs obituary, and in previous seasons, there's always something that Dangle was mad about. And in Game 7, it was the Tavares non-call, which I get that he's angry that that was called in a game seven where the refs typically let things go by and they just let the players play and they decide to call that. I can get why that's infuriating, 100%. The Leafs still have an opportunity at that point to tie the game and win it because it's a very close game. In fact, it was was eventually a tie game. Yeah, eventually a tie game thanks to Morgan Riley. It didn't end up mattering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Leafs, if they're a good team, they find a way to win that game. Winners win. Winners win no matter what. Winners find a way to win no matter what. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, try as they might, I don't know if they could have played a better game, but it still wasn't good enough. They came up short. Yep. And you know what? All of those sense teams that lost to the Leafs, you know what that got Jacques Martin? The door. Right. 2004, another first-round loss to the Leafs. He gets fired. A few years later, Sens make it to the finals. Granted, Toronto wasn't in the playoffs, so that probably helps their cause. But at the end of the day, the Sens made some harsh, tough changes, but they got to the finals three years after the Leafs knocked out Ottawa in 2004. With Barry Trotz on the market, with all of the offensive and defensive weapons in the system that they have, If I'm Kyle Dubas, I look at everything outside of Marner, Matthews, and Tavares, especially when you consider Marner, Matthews, and Tavares have, I think, two years left together, and in the case of Marner and Tavares, it's three, but Matthews gets paid two seasons from now. He has next year, then the year after, and then he can go and sign anywhere he wants if he wants to. And if he continues to elevate his play somehow after the season that he had, he's probably going to get at least the amount of money that he's making now, if not more. Probably more, yeah. So, I, I think for people whose argument is to stay the course and to stay with this core, they've done that for how many years now? Yep. And they're still not in the second round. They still can't win game sevens. They still can't close out series. They're getting closer every year, but they can't do it. Get someone who can do it. 
get someone who can win a game seven. If it's Barry Trotz, it's Barry Trotz. If it's Lule Morello, it's Lule Morello. If it's David Ayers, it's David Ayers. <laughs> get a guy that wins game sevens, that goes deep into the playoffs. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Yeah, the Leafs were fourth overall in the NHL. So what? They're not in the first round. And you know what? If beating Tampa Bay, if they go into next year and they beat Tampa Bay and they go on a run and they win the finals, if they make a couple of tough off-season uh, decisions this year and it works, yeah, people are still going to be disappointed that they had to make those decisions for that to happen. But who cares? The Toronto Raptors traded DeMar DeRozan for uh, one year of Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi Leonard went to the Clippers after that. But guess what? The Raptors won the thing. Right. In one year of Kawhi Leonard's existence in a Toronto Raptors uniform, they won a dang championship. This is a winner's business. This is a business. This is the National Hockey League. All of the teams that are in this playoff field deserve to be here. They've worked hard to be here. Even Dallas will talk about people will think they had no shot in hell against Calgary. They still came within a goal. They came within a goal of shocking the hockey world off the back of their goalie. Every single team has a right to be here. And the Leafs are one of the 16, they had every right to be here. Every single team that was in the game sevens we're gonna talk about deserved to be here. They fought long and hard to get there. The Leafs needed a couple of goals to go their way, they didn't get it. You need to find a way to get those goals when it matters. When I see stats by stats tweeting out that the Leafs are the first team in MLB slash NBA slash NHL history to lose a winner-take-all game in the opening round of the playoffs five years in a row, I'm baffled. Yep. When I see that they're 0-10 with Matthews and Marner and potentially close out elimination games, I don't know what to think. But I know that what they had this year wasn't good enough. They needed one extra ingredient to put themselves over the top. And maybe they thought they had it. Maybe it just didn't show up at the right time. But I think this is the best thing that could have happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because at the very least, it questions, is what you have the right solution? Does your system work? And what do you need to get? to make sure that next year and the years following are different than this year. If the Leafs go into the second round and they lose in the second round, are they even thinking of making the changes that they might make? I don't think they do, because they want a playoff series. They've gone farther than where they've gone in the past two decades, almost. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the Leafs do, but at the very least, they need to think about everything. Yeah. And they need to do one major thing. And I don't think he should be safe. With trots on the market, I don't think he should be safe. Uh, yeah, I I mean, yeah, I don't think Keith should go, but I do hear what you're saying, and I, I did say that you should, like, blow up the team, basically, and, and I did at one point say that, like, you should trade everyone that has any value other than uh, Matthews, Marner, and Tavares. But, uh, at the very least, I, I'm not going to say they should blow up the whole experiment, but I think they yeah. should think about where their priorities are, what they need yeah. to keep, i.e., okay, should should we keep Campbell over Morazic and roll the dice on Morazic, right, right, right. which I don't think they should do. No, they but shouldn't. you need to 
what you need to maximize the salary cap or whatever salary yeah. cap that you have you need to realize which guys in your system can be replaced which guys can't and you need to stick with your gut yep and make yeah some uh, i don't know i i think like sheldon keith is a good coach though so that's why i don't know if you need like if you should fire him i guess he like you know trots is obviously a better coach so yeah i guess maybe that is the decision but um, but I don't know if it's necessarily Sheldon Keefe. I think it's like, you know, as simple as like, as, as much as both of us went in on the this Leafs team, like, I think it's just simply that they, you know, Tampa's a good team too. It's just like, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't really just be saying that, you know, I, I, I was talking to you about like, what would be more disappointing Edmonton and Toronto. And I was, you know, um, if they, if they ended up losing their game seven, and, you know, luckily for Edmonton, they didn't. But, yeah, if Edmonton lost, it would have been like, you know, like, you know, the Kings are not as good of a team as Tampa yeah. is. So it's like, yes, Toronto has all the history. This is like their fifth time doing this type of thing in this Matthews-type era, actually, sixth time. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you know, like Toronto has more history in the playoffs than McDavid does. But at the same time, it's just like Tampa like won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, uh, and they know what to do. And like you know, yeah. this isn't new for them. And I, I think it's just like it could just be as simple as like they they lost to a really good team, and you yeah, know, no, and Tampa's you're, a really you're good not team. Wrong. So you're not wrong in any of what yeah. you say there, Brad. But yeah. at the end of the day, Sheldon Keefe hasn't proven that he can get out of the first round. Trotz has. Sure. And he's yeah. done it on teams with less. That's fair. An Anders team with less without John Tavares. That's fair. I just I don't think it's like I I like you know as even though I said like before that I would blow up the team and I don't know what you can do. I I don't think that like now that I think about it I don't think you should like do anything so drastic like speaking the 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 Lightning are a perfect example of this they um you know before. They won all these cups, and before they even had that President's Trophy record-setting regular season uh, record that they had, like there was a point that they they missed the playoffs, and people were saying like, "Oh, you should fire John Cooper, you should trade Stephen Stamkos, you should trade all these guys," and they they didn't do that. They did they stayed the course, and they didn't even like you know trade anyone. They didn't do anything drastic. They didn't fire John Cooper, and then yeah, the rest is history. And yeah, sure they ended up like, you know, uh, winning the president's trophy and losing and getting swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. But like, they still stayed the course after that. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that they should do anything too drastic. Um, maybe you trade Nylander if there is a right move or if it, if it like, you know, it's like a deal breaker or like, or like a godfather type type trade where it's like a deal that they can't refuse but like i i don't think that they should do that they should try to like stay the course i get like and i just mentioned like there is a state of urgency where it's like who knows how how good matthews and marner can be um in the next couple of years and like they're in their prime now but you only have so many chances but yeah i, th I think like you also like don't want to blow up the team and making it worse for yourself um, in the long run. So so yeah, I don't I don't see that. 
Um, Before we go to the next point, um, because we have been talking about this for a uh, long time. Yeah, of course. That, Fred, but just to that. Yeah, I, I got off guard too. To your point about Tampa getting swept by Columbus in that President's Trophy season. Yeah. In 2015, they made it to the finals. In 2016, they made it to the conference finals. And in 2018, they made it to the conference finals. The Leafs haven't even made it to the second round yet sure. since 2004. Yep. So at least you knew with Tampa that you could go deep into the postseason. Fair. At least once with John Cooper. Yeah, I, I guess that, yeah, that is a good point, but I don't know if it's like... Yeah, I, mean, I, I see what you're saying. Just putting that out there. It might not mean anything, just putting that out there. It was easier for Tampa to stay the course because they won with Stamkos and Hedman before and Kucherov, and with that coaching staff yep. too... They felt confident in that group. They had every reason to feel confident that they didn't have to do anything. But the least, it's a bit of a different talking point because we don't right. know if they can. True, true. Yeah, that's a fair point. We, um, we have a we have a gut feeling that they can, and I felt they could, yep. but they didn't. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and I, I guess it's more like you know the the like the Atlantic Division's going to be pretty tough uh, next year, so. That's, that's, that's always going to be the thing. Um, so, you know, you just have to, like, you know, Tampa has been able to get past that as well. So so maybe there is something there. Um, also, breaking news here, um, as I'm looking on Twitter here, uh, Lane Lambert is announced as the new head coach of the New York Islanders. He was the assistant coach for Barry Trotz's uh, Islanders team. So that's who the next Islanders coach is. Um, so, we'll see. I'm not one to question Lou Lamorello because he's made some risky gambles that have paid off before, but those risky gambles were 20 years ago, and yeah, we'll um, I'm interested to see how this ages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think it's going to work, but yeah, as you're saying, it's hard to question Lou Lamorello because he knows what he's doing sometimes. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, we do have to get going, though. Um, this will probably be a two-hour-plus show. Sorry, apologies to you guys. Um, so now we go to Florida, Tampa. Speaking of Tampa, uh, we're going to do a preview. I guess we'll do, like, I we do have power rankings at the end here, so maybe not go too in-depth just for time reasons. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think as, like, Tampa and both Florida and Tampa were impressive, but I, I don't know. I think, um, I, I think there's something where Barkov might be injured. Um, he, he hasn't been playing as well as we thought he would. Um, it is good that they get Ekblad back and he has looked healthy on the other end. Um, and, you know, they do have this good depth. And as I mentioned before in the Caps obit that, like, Florida's always in it, um, even when they're down, like, by three goals or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun series regardless um, because, like, you never know when Florida could come back or not. Um, and I, I think there, there was, like, the Caps kind of exposed Florida in a way because there were some, like, you know, Bobrovsky didn't have it at times. Um, but, like, at the same time, Toronto exposed Tampa, too, where, like, Vasilevsky proved that he was uh, human in some points as well during that series as well. So I, I'm going to go with Florida in seven, but um, but it's going to be, like, it might be, like, they might win in overtime or something like that. Like, <laughs> I, 
I, I'm, I guess I, you know, I don't feel too good about it, I guess. It could be one of those series uh, where it's like Ottawa Boston in 2017, yeah. where like almost every game's decided by a goal. Right, right, and right. Like four of them are decided in OT, that type of series. Yeah, something like that. But, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I feel like that's what this series could turn into. And after going against Tampa against Toronto, I'm going to take Tampa in seven in this case because, man, I looked at Florida Washington and just like, Florida isn't performing as well as I thought they would. And it, even if they advance, that's a major cause for concern for me because they're going up against a very tough opponent, whether it's Toronto or it's Tampa. In this case, it's Tampa. And I will say, the loss of Braden Point could hurt them if he's out for an indefinite period of time. Even if he's playing, um, I think we all know he's not at 100%. And even then, Florida depth-wise looks better than Tampa. But Tampa's guys just find a way to show up when it matters. And in a very tight series, I think that's what's going to make the difference. Again, Florida's got scary good offense. They'll force it to seven. But if it's a goalie duel between Bobrovsky and Vasilevsky, I'm going with Fassi hands down yeah. right now. Uh, just, just because Bobrovsky just isn't on Vasilevsky's level at the moment. So, yeah, Bolts in seven. Um, I don't know how many points for Hagee will get for the sake of my fantasy yeah. team. I hope it's a lot because I'll need him. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm, cer- I'm certainly gonna predict. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say it's gonna be an NHL Classic seven game series, but Tampa's gonna win. Yep, that that's totally fair. Um, yeah, this is. By the way, you reminded me. This is the Carter for Hagee series um so yeah uh, by the way this is actually this i don't know if this is the first time that this has ever happened but there's um in each of these four series there has been a former player who's currently on one of the teams who's going to be playing um against their former team so that's going to be kind of fun i'll i'll remind you whenever we do these uh, little prediction things so that that could be fun um in fact the next three series have two players who played on their former team, um, which is fun. Okay, so now we go to the Metro. Uh, we're going to start off with the Bruins. Um, of course, we're going to try not to go as long on the Bruins obituary as we did for the Leafs obituary. Um, I think we should probably try to curb it a little bit. Um, so, uh, although I, I will say that, uh, so as, as a Bruins fan, I guess I always have to show that I'm a homer. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I was impressed with Carolina and I was impressed with this Bruins team that they were able to make it to seven. I know I predicted Bruins in seven, but, um, in all honesty, like, you know, I wasn't shocked that Carolina won in seven. Um, I, I think there were like, you know, like usually whenever I watch these, uh, the Bruins play in the playoffs, I'm like kind of angry like at like the refs or at a particular type of player or something like that and yeah I could get on Max Domi uh being like suddenly showing up in game seven um scoring three points there or um or there, there were some questionable calls in game three uh for them but ultimately like this Bruins team is is not poorly constructed, um, and I don't even if the Bruins did beat Carolina, I'm not sure they have what it takes to go all the way. So, um, 
though ultimately I, you know, I, I have to give Carolina props and yeah, they were just the better team. Um, even when the Bruins won, I was just like, okay, Carolina's probably going to win the next series. Um, what was interesting too, was that, uh, the home team always won, um, every, every game. So, um, I always like to say, uh, like the game, uh, the series is never over until the home team loses and that never happened, but it still went seven games. Um, but like, even like all the games that the Bruins lost, I was just like, the Bruins like deserve to lose a lot of them. Um, you know, there, you could go back and say like, maybe they would have had a shot of the first two games if Jeremy Swayman played instead, but ultimately I don't think it was Olmark's fault, uh, when he was playing. So I don't know how good Swayman could have been, um, had that happened. And yeah. Um, and then, you know, they were kind of screwed with the McAvoy, uh, getting COVID Hampus Lindholm didn't play for a couple of those games. It's definitely something that's, um, you know, that could have definitely uh, hurt them or, you know, it definitely did hurt them. But ultimately, like, it was just impressive that they were able to win game six. Uh, no, sorry, yeah, game six with, um, no, wait, it was game, yeah, oh, yeah, it was, they won game six without McAvoy um, and Hampus. So, um, wait, no, am I, no, I'm thinking of game four. Uh, game four uh, without uh, McAvoy and Hampus. And so, like, I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of this team uh, just because it's like, you know, um, I, I like, you know, it would have been a tough series um, even if they did win. And, um, yeah, I'm just happy that they were able to do this. Um, what, in terms of the future, um, I have two things. One, the biggest free agent to, to worry about is uh, Patrice Bergeron. Um, he's a UFA of this year. They also have uh, Curtis Lazar, Anton Bleeth, uh, Josh Brown. Um, those are the only other UFAs um, that are out there, but Patrice Bergeron is going to be the big one. Um, I, I think there's two ways that this could go. I'm 50-50 on either one. 50% uh, of me thinks that Patrice Bergeron is going to sign a one-year deal um, at like, you know, maybe like 2 million or 3 million, kind of like what uh, Jumbo Joe Thornton did with the Sharks the last couple of years he was on the team, or uh, what uh, the Bruins did with Zdeno Chara, where you just keep on signing these one-year deals until he feels like he can't do it anymore. Um, and it also helps the cap situation a little bit. The other 50% of me, and especially after seeing him hug uh, his teammates after the game on ice, um, which was just a little bit unusual. I mean, I know he's the captain and all, and this was their last game, but it's just like, it felt like why, like, you know, you could just, I don't know. Um, it's, it seemed a little much to hug them if he wasn't, like, if this wasn't his last game. Um, so, so the, uh, the other 50% thinks that he's going to retire. Um, and I, you know, if that happens and if it's official, I'm go, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, prepare something for that. But, um, yeah, he's, he's probably the greatest Bruins player I've ever seen live. Um, and, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's going to be amazing, but, um, I actually have a signed Jersey of him. I, I just remember that, but, um, 
and I met him. Uh, so so that was fun. But yeah, it's it's uh, it, I, and if he does retire, um, I I think the Bruins should start to consider a rebuild. Um, I know they have Marshawn, they have Pasternak, um, and Hall, but hey McAvoy and Swayman. But I, I like you know, as we were saying with the Capitals, and we're about to say with the Penguins, like they're destined to be in the middle for the next couple of years, um, even if they do have Bergeron back. And I just, I just don't see how like um, how they can compete. Um, and the only other thing that I want to say before you get to talk, Steve, um, is that uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Sweeney has to go. Um, uh, especially if Patrice Bergeron walks away and, and signs with another team, um, because it's like, you know, I, I trust Bergeron knows what he's doing, and if he signs with another team, that's just a slap in the face to Don Sweeney and the rest of the things. And so, like, you should always uh, take Patrice Bergeron, especially how much uh, effort and uh, pride Bergeron has put into this team. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, if if they let Bergeron go to another team, Sweeney has to go. I would, you know, I I might even consider being uh, just a Patrice Bergeron fan and and follow him wherever he goes um, instead. Because uh, unless Sweeney gets fired, like I that would have to be it. Um, but even if Bergeron stays or he retires. Um, I don't trust Sweeney to know what he's doing um, uh, in order to make this into a very competitive team uh, to, to compete with Toronto, Tampa, and Florida. Or, you know, uh, there's, you know, Ottawa's waiting in the wings. Uh, I feel like Detroit's close as well. Montreal is about to get Shane Wright. And, um, yeah, the, uh, why am I playing? And Buffalo, like, they had a pretty good late search, too. They, they could surprise next year as well. So it's like, I, I feel like the Bruins are on the downturn. And um, and even if we do rebuild, like, just look at 2015 draft. And uh, I, I do not trust Don Sweeney to know what he's doing in terms of drafting prospects. So, um, you know, there, there were a couple here and there that he, uh, he has drafted well on, Mason Lurai and Fabian Lysel, uh, to be exact. But, yeah, it's just like I, he's, drafting is not his number one skill. And if you're going to rebuild, you need someone else who can do that. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think uh, Sweeney is going to be the guy um, or should be the guy, but... I don't think he's going to be fired, um, and uh, that's going to be a shame. Yet, um, I mean, if you, as, as long as you don't replace him with Paul Fenton and Pierce, right. really, you're good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or like Pierre well, Maguire good. or something. Yeah. Now, I think the Bruins without Patrice Bergeron are still a pretty good hockey club that could still make the playoffs. Uh, go past the first round, that'll be a stretch, but still compete for a playoff spot for sure and potentially make the playoffs because those teams you mentioned uh, in the Atlantic that could challenge Boston, they're not going to challenge them next year. But I do agree with you that they're getting close. And maybe the offseason moves that those teams make, maybe that escalates things and they're better faster than we think. The big year for Boston... Um, I just realized it's probably next year because yes 
you don't really know what the position down the middle is going to be because potentially you don't have Bergeron or Krejci. That'll be tough for Boston yep. to overcome. That'll be tough for Boston to place and replace in free agency if Bergeron leaves. The big problem is you got to sign David Pasternak soon. And by soon, I mean he's on the final year of his deal at sure. just under $6.7 million. He's going to be getting a lot more than that on his next contract, and deservedly so. He's been a great player for them, got another 40-goal season in the bank, took over 300 shots, prime of his career, absolutely need to keep him. But that's going to create some cap issues elsewhere. You also have a bunch of UFAs coming up uh, after next season. Nick Felino, Craig Smith, Eric Halla, Thomas Janosek, Chris Wagner. I guess you could say most of them are pieces that you can always move around and change. But again, that's that's a, a lot of depth to fill. And I don't know if Boston has enough depth in their system to necessarily fill out all those spots. So who are you going to bring in to yep. replace those? Um, so it, I can get in the sense why you're pretty scared that Bergeron could leave. And if he does leave, that's going to create a hole there. But I don't think Boston's going to be catastrophically bad enough that they rebuild as next year. It could be a possibility a couple of years down the road, but yeah. I haven't uh, given up uh, faith that the Bruins score yeah. still is. Uh, they got something left in the tank. I just don't know for, for how long they have it. I should, uh, now, I should sorry uh, to cut you off there, but I should mention that I, I don't think the Bruins will ever publicly announce that they're going to rebuild because that's just, you know, like no team ever really does that. Uh, I guess other than the Rangers and the Blackhawks, but um, but I, so I, I don't think they're going to do that. And if you're going to rebuild, like yeah, you're going to still be competitive, but like you know, weak wink, nudge nudge, like just the amount of trades where it's like okay, they're getting picks instead of uh, prospects and things yeah. like that. Then like you'll that, that would be like yeah, but not like not like Arizona Coyotes level. Yeah, they're not going to Yeah, I'm not talking about that. And it, like you know, obviously like. Pasternak and um, Brad Marchand should be a part of the rebuild because, like, even though Marchand is an old, like, 34 years old, um, which is, like, old in hockey years, um, you know, he should, he's, like, a big part of the Bruins team. So I, I don't know. And he'll probably help be, like, that veteran captaincy presence Um for them, and you know, same for Bergeron, he could be a good mentor to all these young guys as well. So, uh, yeah. So when I say rebuild, like I don't mean like what the Coyotes are doing. I just mean like you know, maybe yeah. you know, just focus a little bit more on the rebuilds, uh, like just getting players who can help you in the future, um, and not in the present. Yeah, and uh, I will I will say the good news is if Jake Depress continues to play like he is, yeah. I know we said that many many times before. Maybe this year is different. Uh, the Bruins on a depth front could be able to make it work, and they have a pretty reasonable goalie tandem over the next at least year or two, cap wise, um, to to you know kind of finagle the salary gap a little bit and uh, extend yep. the window a little bit. Um, now to the part about Patrice Bergeron retiring, I didn't really believe it until I saw him hugging his teammates afterwards and Brad Marchand's comments after the game. Yep. That did kind of lead me to believe that maybe this is the last time we see Bergeron in a Bruins uniform, and it would make sense if he retires Bruin for life. 
And the only reason why I say he might not is if he gets an offer he can't refuse, i.e. go to Colorado for one last dance. Uh-oh. Think about it. I thought if, they don't, if they don't keep Nazem Kadri because they have Nathan McKinnon to yeah. pay the year after, right? Yeah. Look at Patrice Bergeron's yeah, numbers one. and tell me he's got nothing left. He got 293 shots, 65 oh, yeah. points in 73 games. He can still play on the second line. I know, I know. And put up good numbers in Colorado. And he that's had, a legit shot to win the Cup. Not to mention, he had his best, like, uh, like uh, face-off numbers and all those, like, defensive numbers yeah. um, of his career. Um, and he <laughs> might not win the Selkie. He should win the Selkie, yeah. but he's... Uh, yeah, he 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 should he shouldn't retire. He still has some left in the tank, but you know I I think we said the same with uh, David Krejci as well. So it's like it wouldn't yeah. shock me if he retires as well. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he retires, but um, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me even if it's one year three million. Yep. Yeah. If if there is a team like Colorado that has a jaw dropping chance of winning the Stanley Cup next year. Especially if they don't get it done this year. Right. And if they call Patrice Bergeron, how do you not take that call and say yes? True. The thing is, is though, that he already has a cup. So it's like, I I don't know if he needs, I mean, I I guess you can always have more. So, and he's like a, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. uh, So I don't know if he necessarily needs to add another cup to his uh, repertoire, but yeah, I guess. No matter he can, what, he's you know, a Bruin for life. Even yeah. if he just goes to the apps for one That's year. That's true. I would. I, yeah, I would be. Um, I. I mean, I'm never gonna be angry at him unless, unless, unless he signs with Montreal. Uh, which, yeah, that that would probably hurt. Uh, the but only yeah, reason why I say it, yeah. Couldn't refuse. The, that the, would be an offer he couldn't yeah. refuse. The only reason why I mention Montreal is that he um, Kent Hughes was his agent uh, back in the day. So um, and they're they're close. Um, so, so that is definitely possible, and that's something that Boston media is running with, is that there's a chance that he's going to go to Montreal. But uh, that's where I thought you were going to say. Um, instead of Col- no. uh, Colorado, I'd be okay with. Um, but, um, yeah. but yeah, Montreal is probably the only one where I'm like, uh, really, Patrice? Like, I would just question my entire existence <laughs> as, a, as a Bruins fan if, if he did that. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, do no, you have more okay. points? It's okay. Uh, we we get with Bruins. Are we on to the yeah. Other black the, the only other thing that you mentioned before was is that like you know the, the other point to to mention with like Sweeney's job is that um, as much as I love Eric Halla um, and Charlie Coyle who filled in for that second line center spot and. I hope I still have some faith in Jackson Nicka, but maybe not as large as it used to be. Um, like they never addressed the center that center position. So if like Bergeron goes, it's like you didn't even fill like the roles in for David Krejci. So it's like how do I how do I trust Sweeney to to fill in like two center spots? Um, instead, that that that's the other reason why I want Sweeney out is just because he never really really addressed um, the center uh, the center position for for Krejci being gone. Um, so, so someone give uh, Don Sweeney three straight picks, maybe he'll draft a quality center with them. Oh, I don't, I don't, I think he'll flub it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, now, damn it, Steve, I didn't think I could be more depressed, and like now I'm just thinking like, hey, oh, we could have had. You can never be more 
like our our creature replacement was there. Our creature replacement was there with Matthew Bissell. Damn it. Uh, all right. Um, anyways, uh, the other obituary before we go too long here. Uh, the Penguins. Um, they also got out. Um, it was impressive too because I thought there was like. Some points when, uh, during that series against the Rangers, where I was just thinking, like, oh, they're, uh, like, the Penguins might actually do this, and, like, you know, I, I feel like there was certain points, I don't, I have this theory, working theory, that, uh, Sidney Crosby, um, you would never admit it, but I, I think he's a little bit annoyed that people keep on talking about McDavid, Matthews, and, Mar um, and McKinnon, um, and, like, they don't, um, they don't talk about Crosby like they used to. Um, and, you know, I, I guess that makes sense because, like, McDavid and McKinnon and Matthews <laughs> have a lot more points. But uh, I don't know if you realize this, but Sidney Crosby had um, 84 points in 69 games in the regular season this past year. Um, and he had 10 points in this uh, in six games because um, he did have a uh, – he had a concussion that got him out of game six. He did play a little bit in Game 7, um, and I think he has, like, the second most playoff points um, all time now. So, uh, yeah, J Sidney Crosby's really good. Um, and, um, and yeah, he, he really showed it this year, um, or during this playoffs. Um, yeah, and then, of course, you have Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, um, who had great uh, playoffs as well. Um, Jake Gensel also had 10 points in these playoffs. Um, and then um, eight goals as well, which is uh, crazy too. Um, but yeah, I, I um, in terms of their free agency marks, um, they have two big UFAs that they'll have to figure out, um, and that is Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin. Brian Rust is also a UFA, Ricard Raquel, um, Evan Rodriguez, and Brian Boyle. So a few other decent ones that they should probably figure out as well. Uh, Casey DeSmith and Louis Domingue are UFAs. And then in terms of RFAs, you have Casper Kapanen um, and Danton Heinen and Alex DeOrio. Um, so yeah, it does, just based off of that list, uh, it does appear that there's going to be a lot of changeover for the Penguins next year. Um, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a team or, or the Penguins are going to have both Malkin or Latang, um, and I, I think they should try to re-sign Brian Rust, but he could get a lot of money on, on the open market too, so I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Brian Rust on the Penguins next season as well, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting, like, they'll be a very busy, they'll have a very busy offseason, and yeah, they're a lot like the Bruins and the Capitals, where I feel like no matter what, they're gonna have to make a lot of moves this offseason in order to be a like open up that window some more. Like of course they still have a superstar in um, a, a generational talent in Sidney Crosby, um, but the, like you know like Alex Ovechkin is for the Capitals, but yeah, and you know, and luckily that all the Caps and the Bruins and the Penguins, they already have a cup in their recent history, so it's, you can't really say it's a failure uh, for this core. But yeah, at the same time, it's just like, you know, you can either, 
you know, being in the middle of the league is not where you want to be. And, um, yeah, I don't know if they'll necessarily, um, I, I feel like they're eventually going to start dwindling down and start to become worse. Um, and, um, yeah, so it will be an interesting offseason for sure. Um, but, yeah, I imagine Malkin and – I imagine Malkin or Latang are probably going to be gone. Yeah, um, given the fact that Malkin is such a competitor, yep. um, I think they find a way to keep him around. Uh, you look at Brian Rust, he's going to be the most intriguing unrestricted free agent uh, to keep a watch on this season. 58 points in 60 games during the regular season. One of the most underrated forwards. And I say that about a lot of guys, but I mean criminally underrated forwards. Brian Rust is at the tippity top yep. of that list for me for the past couple of years at least. And um, he can be a pretty good uh, playoff performer as well. He had eight points in seven games, as a matter of fact. The only guys who had more, Gensel, and eight of those ten points that he got were goals, and Crosby, who got ten points in six games. And, of course, uh, didn't really play in game six because uh, he might have had a concussion. Yep. But uh, they'll, they'll never say that because... Of course they wouldn't. Concussion history, you don't want that. Um, Latang is a different story because there are a couple of names on defense. Okay, I'll say one on Klingberg that Pittsburgh could afford to pay if they wanted to open their wallet. And the reason I say that is because unlike the Capitals, unlike the Bruins, they have money to spend. They have Malkin as a free agent, Brian Rust making $3.5 million. He's a free agent. You also have Ricard Raquel, who was on reduced salary, and uh, Chris Letang. So that right there, um, that opens up uh, some money um, for, for the short term to kind of keep that window to win open. And they don't necessarily have to go out and sign players. They could make a trade with a team like, I don't know, Vancouver. They could get JT Miller or something like that to shore up the second line, whether he's a center, whether he's a left winger. Maybe they do away with that because Brian Rust uh, currently is on the first line right wing. It's all about keeping that second line intact and getting a good line buddy with Malkin there. And if you keep Malkin there and you put JT Miller on the left side, I mean, given the fact that JT Miller's played some of his best hockey and he wants to win and he's a real firecracker on the ice and, and like he plays with a lot of intensity, he, he seems like a guy that doesn't like to lose and he always wants to strive to be the best. I think JT Miller could be a guy that the Penguins target. I don't know exactly if that's going to work, if that's going to make them any better, and I don't think it will. They're a team like Washington and Boston where they're they're in the playoffs but they're not expected to do much of anything. They had a couple of chances to close out this series, but the real nail in the coffin for me was game six when they were up two nothing. They had a couple of two nothing leads in the series where the Rangers uh, stormed back and got a couple of power play goals and they're right back in it. But when you don't have Sidney Crosby in Game 6, you're up 2-0 on the Rangers, and you're giving them power plays, chances to get back in the game. That's a bad formula. And that was a major, major opportunity missed. And once the Rangers took it to Game 7, you give the Rangers a chance to close this thing out. And let me remind people, in 2014, last time these two teams met in the playoffs, I believe, 
Rangers were down 3-1, and they won three straight, and they had game seven on home ice. History repeated itself again. Down 3-1, game seven on home ice. Rangers fight their way back and win it in OT. And again, the Penguins only lost in the series by an OT goal from Artemi Panarin, but they had three chances to put this team to rest. A team that played just as reckless defensive abandonment as the Penguins did. And in six games without Tristan Jerry, Casey DeSmith playing first period to the second OT period of game one before he gets hurt and doesn't play another minute because he has core muscle surgery. And they ride with Louis Domingue for the better part of four and a half games. They almost won that series. Imagine just mentally, just mentally how that would have affected the Rangers if they just look back and say, we just lost to Louis Domingue and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right, right, right. <laughs> Like, Louis Domingue is a journeyman NHLer, and he barely even played, I think, in either the AHL or the NHL this year. And they almost lost to Louis Domingue and the Penguins. The Penguins had everything right going their way, and if they had the ability to close out teams, they could have done it. But they they took their foot off the gas at the worst possible time, and the Rangers made them pay for it. They had chances to close the series out, and they could. So, um... Yeah, but I think this is the last chance to extend that window. And now that uh, they failed to do it, um, I don't think they're going to get another chance like this again. This was probably the best opponent they could have drawn in the first round in terms of teams that you could beat. Um, and the road's only going to get tougher because I see Pittsburgh probably as a wild card team, but uh, I don't really know what their chances are of finishing in the top three in the Metro next year and moving forward. Just because you would hope that the Islanders bounce back and some of the, maybe the Flyers take a step forward this offseason, who really knows? Maybe maybe it's the Devils. Maybe it's neither of them. But eventually, regression is going to hit Pittsburgh. I've said it for a couple of years now. And they, they managed to beat Father Time uh, for the past couple of years, but hasn't really gotten them any far. And I don't think it'll get them even farther next year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And as I've mentioned before, it's like I feel like Penguins, Bruins, and Caps, as good as as they've been this past fifteen years, I feel like all three of them are about to close their run right now or close yeah. their window. And, and and it's not like the Penguins didn't have the morale. They they yeah. showed a lot of morale. Yeah, the they were great. And teamwork in Game One yep. and throughout the series. Same. But they just didn't have the talent to close. Yeah, you can say the same for the Bruins and the Capitals, too. So, yeah. Um, all right, so now we go to the Tony D'Angelo series, or the Brady Shea series, um, or the Eric Stahl series. Or the Anti Ranta series. Or the Anti Ranta series, that's another one, yeah. And Eric Stahl is another one um, who's, no, you know, no longer in the NHL. But, um, but yeah, oh, yeah, Anti Ranta is a good one there. Yeah, I guess the. Yeah. It was funny, my, so my dad's a Rangers fan, and uh, he was mentioning how um, he was he was talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was saying, like, aren't they the team that have a lot of ex-Rangers fan, uh, team players on there? It's just like, yeah, they Jesper used to. Jesper Fast is another one. Yeah, Jesper Fast is another one. And then I was just like, yeah, and now I'm, like, thinking, like, Carolina. Derek Stewart yeah, Carolina's, another one. Oh, my God. We yeah. just keep going down the list here. <laughs> yeah, they probably have everyone. That's five right there. They're yeah. on the cage still. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, 
So, but yeah, like Tampa used to be like the one that just had a ton of ex-Rangers. But yeah, I guess Carolina now has taken that mantle. Brendan uh, Smith, another one. Oh, right. That's right. I forgot Brendan Smith. <laughs> yeah. He's a forward slash defense hybrid player. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's going to we're going to see a lot of Tony D'Angelo ad nauseum, uh, considering Every the fact. Game winner is scored by a former Ranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be funny. But um, I guess it is possible now that we know that there's so many. But um, yeah, there's. Um, I, I think we'll we'll see a lot out of TDA during this. Uh, uh, you know, just in terms of like the attention, considering that. He punched Alexander uh, Gordiev um, in the face, um, and that uh, sent him down to the AHL for half the year, and then um, and then he was later uh, uh, signed by Carolina in the offseason uh, this year, and then he became a good player again. Or uh, supposedly he's uh, he was triggered by Brad Marchand in the series, but um, and <laughs> it was <laughs> I don't I don't we didn't talk about this last week, but. Apparently, um, I, I, I think I missed it, but in the um, I think it was at the end of Game 3, um, Brad Marchand had this empty netter shot uh, go in, and uh, Tony D'Angelo, like, he uh, threw his stick um, at the net, but you could tell that he was throwing the stick at Brad Marchand. And um, so it's like, it just shows that, like, you know, we think that uh, Tony D'Angelo has changed... I don't think so. I, I, I think he he still gets riled up. I mean, of course, Brad Marchand riles up everyone, but um, I, I think there is still a piece of him that's like, I'm, uh, that's like still a asshole there. I, I can't think of a better word. I know it's probably not great to, to swear on the mic here, but. Uh, God help us all if Tony D'Angelo's burner account gets chirped at by Marchand's. Yeah, team. that's that's probably going to happen, yeah. But, um, and then, yeah, and they went at it, and you could see that Marshawn, like, called uh, TDA a racist, um, and that, that got, um, it, it's funny, you don't see, like, the internet um, backing Brad Marshawn, but when it's against Tony D'Angelo, everyone loves Brad Marshawn, so, so that's great. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, um, going back to this series, um, yeah, I... You know, it's interesting because the Hurricanes didn't have Freddie Anderson um, in this series. I don't know when he'll be back. Uh, Andy Ranta was pretty good, um, and so they are they are lucky that you know they at least have another goalie that can help them out in the long term from that standpoint. But um, so there is definitely questions on that side of things. But then, as you were mentioning, like you know, the Rangers could barely beat. Uh, Louis Domingue um, and like a depleted P- Pittsburgh Penguins team. Jari did play um, in Game Seven, so that was good to see that at least he was able to make a return. But uh, but yeah, the Rangers were able to make do. But I don't know. I I I still think that Carolina like something's going on with Shostakin. I don't know what, but. It's just, I mean, I know that he's like a goaltender and maybe he was relied on too much in the season, but I don't know. I, I, I have concerns with uh, Shesterkin now, um, and I, I would be happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen. I predict the Hurricanes in six. So here, here's the thing with 
the New York Rangers is yes, Igor Shosturkin hasn't looked like the Igor Shosturkin, the dominant Igor Shosturkin that uh, we've seen this season. There's there's no question about that. But a part of that is because, um, gee, I don't know. Um, they give up too many shots. And granted, that was a problem at times throughout the regular season. But it, at, at, at best, they gave up like 30 to 40 shots a game in every single game of this series. And I'm, I don't quote me on it, but it felt like they got outshot every single game of this series. Even the triple OT game, they were outshot, what, 83 to 68? Like, that's just absurd. That's an absurd amount of shots to give up. And uh, in that game seven, at 40 plus shots again, that's just Jurgen had to face. In game two, where they won, he stopped like 39 of 41. Eventually, you're gonna get burned if you give up that, that many shots on that, especially from close range. And the thing is with the Carolina Hurricanes is they have the offense that can just turn it up like it's nobody's business where Max Domi can just get a three-point game when it really matters. And the thing about the Carolina Hurricanes is they don't cough up 2 nothing leads like Pittsburgh does in the sense that they don't give you the grade-eight chances that the Rangers need to get back into those games. So if the Rangers go down 2 nothing in a game against the Carolina Hurricanes – they probably won't come back, which is why I think you're right, Brett. Um, the Rangers are talented. They will take this to six games, but they will lose. Okay, so you have Hurricanes in six. Yeah, um, Hurricanes in six. Cool. Um, all right, we have um, the Central now. We're going to the Western Conference. Uh, the Nash- <laughs> It feels like forever ago the Nashville Predators were in the playoffs. Uh, they were the first team that were out. I correctly called that they would get swept, and I was right. So, um, so there we go. Yeah, I predicted they got seven goals, and I think they got like eight or nine, so oh. I was close there. Uh, yeah, I, I missed that part. If, it, but yeah. if it was a four-game sweep, but uh, I thought they win at least one for pride. And then uh, the Avalanche just said, nah, we're just going to yeah. score three goals in the third period and just yep. take you guys out now. What was crazy is uh, I think uh, Kael McCarr had the most points as a defenseman in the first four games of a playoff. Um, yeah. So he had pretty 10 good. points. 10 points in four games. I, I think that's pretty good. Um, pretty good, pretty good. He's also, I, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but he, um, I, I think he's working his way towards like the McDavid Matthews level where it's like we could start having that conversation or at least being like the modern day Bobby Orr. I think that's, that's definitely a modern day. Yeah, the modern day Bobby Orr, I can see. I don't know McDavid and Matthews because he also has McKinnon yep. on his team. Fair. That would probably go against him, but, I mean, still hella good. Yeah, I mean, but he's also, like, you know, uh, to be fair, like, you could say the same thing about Dreisaitl um, being on McDavid's team, and uh, you can also, and Marner, um, and also the fact that Makar is is what, uh, is a defenseman, and he uh, he has to do so much more than uh, a forward does. Um, also true. So uh, yeah, so th- so that's definitely something too. Also, if you're going to be a superstar, like just note to self, if you're going to be a superstar NHL player, make sure you have your last name start with an N, because uh, there are a lot of those uh, this this um. This you're year. tested for greatness if your last name starts with M. 
Yeah, basically. Uh, pretty much every, everyone. McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, McCarr. Yeah, it's just uh, Malkin. McKinnon, and McDavid, yeah. Yeah, there's like, it's just ends, yeah. Marshawn. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, we're, uh, I'm, we're getting sidetracked. Um, so the Nashville Predators were doing this. Um, they, they had a pretty surprising season so far. I, I don't think anyone even expected Nashville to uh, make the playoffs um, to start the year. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with like how we, we thought like, oh, Matt Duchesne was going to have, um, you know, was, didn't have a great year. Um, you had, uh, you know, Granlin, For- who knows what's gonna, going on with Forsberg, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, we knew that Roman, Yo- uh, Roman Yossi is good, although he had a pretty bad season last year as well. Um, and he had a, a bounce back is an understatement for him. And then uh, UC Saros as well. So this isn't a shock that they were able to, they were bounced out uh, this early. Because, uh, you know, we didn't even really expect Nashville to even make the playoffs to begin with. Um, so, so it was just impressive that they were able to do this. Um, and, and, yeah, good for them. Uh, so the, in terms of UFAs, the big one is Philip Forsberg. Uh, Nick Cousins is also a UFA. Um, and then you have Matthew Benning and Ben Harper as UFAs and David Riddick. Um, in terms of RFAs, you have Luke Cunning. Um, Matt Luff, Yakov Trenin, uh, Jeremy Lazan, who I forgot was on the team, and that's it. Um, so, so that's um, yeah. So I think Philip Forsberg is probably the only one where they have to be like, oh, okay, uh, they have to decide on if he's going to stay or go. I think all po- signs are pointing that this is his last year and he's going to sign somewhere else. Um, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I I think it's. It'll be interesting to see. I I would imagine the Predators are going to start like rebuilding, even though you do have Roman Yossi, who had a hundred, almost a hundred points this year as a defenseman, um, and uh, and yeah, Matt Duchesne was also pretty good. But I don't think we're going to see that. Like I don't think Roman Yossi can do the same thing again next year. Um, so uh, yeah, so if I was Philip Forsberg, I'd probably sign somewhere else. Because uh, I don't, I don't see how the Predators can make uh, be serious cons- contenders. Yeah, uh, Nashville. Just gonna say now, enjoy your team making the playoffs while it lasts. Because I don't think we're gonna see it very often moving forward. I mentioned before the start of the season, or and even the series, um, they're about to go through a Blackhawks as downfall, and uh, this was the first sign of it. Getting swept. Offense is relatively stagnant, except for Matt Duchesne, who, I'll give credit to him, he scored three yep. goals in four games, pretty respectable shooting percentage in the playoffs, scored three times on the eight shots that he took, um, and he had a pretty bounce-back uh, season in his own right, and obviously Roman Yossi can't do everything by himself. Um, he had a great regular season. Uh, he's actually up for the Ted Lindsay Award as the player's choice for MVP. He was one of the three finalists. Okay. And uh, despite not being on the Hard Trophy ballot, he's also a Norris finalist. So banner year for Roman Yossi. Again, I don't really know how much of that um, 
is going to translate into the years moving forward. You also have Mikhail Granlund that had a good season, as we've documented. Uh, Ryan Johansson also, to an extent, about bounce back yep. season. And uh, Philip Forsberg had a career year. You also know who had a career year? UC Saros, yep. who, uh, as a lot of you know, uh, didn't play a single game in the playoffs because he was sadly injured. David Riddick played, I think, 20 minutes in the playoffs and got torched. So they had to bring in Connor Ingram. Who, the good news is, if anything good came out of this series, you might know who your backup is for next year. Connor okay. Ingram, I think, could be a capable backup to UC Saros, and they'd probably move on from David Riddick in the offseason. That being said, even if Philip Forsberg stays with Nashville, this is probably the beginning of the end. He's better off signing elsewhere. And uh, moving forward, I don't really love the Nashville Predators' chances of even making the playoffs. If they do, they'll be consistent first-round exits from here on out. Age is going to catch up with them pretty fast. Um, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate because uh, since 2017, it, it's been a gradual decline, but this team has declined. Uh, they're shell of their former self. And uh, I don't really see things uh, getting better from here, even if they get the cap space if Phil Forsberg leaves. Um, there's only so much they can do to really help that offense. The good news is they do have some young guys like Jakob Trennan, who have shown signs of promise. There's uh, Philip Tomasino yep. uh, in the mix as well. Um, and yeah, I guess you have Dante Favreau as well and, and Connor Ingram, like I said, uh, waiting in the wings. Tanner Janot. Uh, you could argue had a Calder-worthy season, even though he wasn't in the top three. He was pretty good. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, they also made a very, very good decision uh, in uh, the OHL draft, uh, in the NHL draft uh, a couple of years ago, and they drafted Luke Evangelista. I don't know if you noticed this, Brett, but he got 111 points in 62 games in the OHL this year, one of the top scorers. He could be a solution for the team in a couple of years, too. Yep. But um, there's going to be a lot of um, aging contracts that they're going to have to digest in that period of time, and it's going to catch up with them. Not to mention, you, you didn't even mention that the, the best prospect Nashville has in Yaroslav Askarov. So, uh, right. So, so they also have him eventually. But yeah, I do agree with you that Connor Ingram, I mean, I think Askarov's a few years away from, from the NHL. So Yeah, uh, only time. So, but yeah, Ingram looked impressive, even though like he was getting scored on all the time. But I think pretty much any goalie would be scored on a lot by the Colorado Avalanche. So, um, but like yeah, he looked impressive, or was able to at least uh, be be pretty good for Nashville, um, even though you know they didn't do a ton with uh, the other players on there. But so. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think uh, we'll we'll see. I think this is more of a, like a sign that Nashville is going to regress even further. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't make the playoffs, but um, it's kind of a shame though because like Roman Yossi had a like not not just a career year, but like a career year for all defensemen in this lockout post lockout era. Um, and so I would like to see him be rewarded, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. On top of that, I will also mention to everyone, because I do keep forgetting about this harsh reality, and I wonder if, how it's going to impact the Philip Forsberg discussions. If Shea Weber retires, that recapture penalty is going right into Nashville's wallet, and it's going to sting. So yep. there's also that looming over them. Yep. 
Um, all right, so now we go to the Minnesota Wilds obituary. I didn't think yeah, that we would... speaking of dead cap, oh, yeah. Minnesota's going to feel it too. Yeah, I didn't think that we would have this obituary this early. I feel like this was the shock of the um, of the obituaries. Like, yes, I guess you could technically say the Leafs being out um, in this round is kind of a shock or should be the biggest shock, but, like, it's the Leafs, let's be real. Um, and, and, you know, they were playing Tampa. Whereas, like, yeah, St. Louis is a good team and all, but Minnesota was a better team overall in the regular season. So it's just like, yeah. what what are we doing here? Um, and then then uh, and then we saw Jordan Winnington for the first yeah. time since 2019. Don't remind <laughs> me. Time. Don't remind me. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and not just that, like, you know, and, uh, like the, at least the Leafs made it to Game 7. Wild lost in game six. So it's just like they didn't even they didn't even get that far. Um, they had a two to one lead as well. Yeah. It's just yeah. Yeah, that that too. It's crazy. Um so um well the good news though is that they don't I guess they don't have to deal with the Marc Andre Fleury uh trade because apparently the Blackhawks uh would have given them uh, good. Are the the wild would have given them a? Oh no! Wait, never mind. That that's not true. Uh, they still have their first round pick. Um, what the deal was in that condition of Mark Andre Fleury was the Blackhawks would get a first round pick or transfer over if the uh, Wild made it to this uh, conference finals. So I guess they would have had to have beaten Colorado, and um, and then. Um, and they would have also had to have Marc Andre Fleury play in half of, or win half of those games, um, so um, that neither were close to true. Um, but yeah, the um, in terms of um, what was also interesting too is like I felt like maybe maybe if like the, I know that you know you get Marc Andre Fleury in a trade and and do all that stuff, but. I don't know. I, I thought that maybe they should have started with Talbot because he did have a better regular season than Flurry did, um, and yeah, I, I I felt like Talbot may or maybe at least like start Talbot in the second or third game. Instead, they started him in like the when Minnesota was already down, by uh, like in a elimination game. So that felt a little bit odd to me. But that's neither here nor there. They lost. Um, in terms of UFAs or f- uh, free agents in general, they have, um, I guess the, the biggest one is Kevin Fiala, who's going to be an RFA uh, this coming year. Um, and then you have, in terms of other RFAs, you have Connor Dewar and Jacob Middleton. In terms of UFAs, Marc-Andre Fleury, which is the big one on that side. Uh, Nicholas Delorier and Nick Bukestad are also UFAs. Um, and as Steve alluded to, they only have one million in cap space, so it's very likely that they won't be able to sign Kevin Fiala even as a restricted free agent. Um, it should also be noted, by the way, that dead cap I was mentioning for yeah. Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, right. six point three seven million times two. So now we're talking uh, twelve point seven ish million this year in dead cap and then per player 
it goes up to 7.37 million after next season and also the year after before it goes to under 1 million in 2025-26 so for a stretch of three years there's like 13 plus million in dead cap that the wild have to deal with for three straight years starting next year that's a lot that is a lot uh the good news though uh is uh matt boldy um he looked really good um and he's still pretty young so he, uh, in the regular season, so they have him. Of course, they have Kaprizov, um, and they also have Marco Rossi waiting in the wings, and Jesper Wallstead waiting in the wings, as well as uh, Kalen Addison. They have a few other guys, uh, Adam Beckman, notably, um, as well, just in the in their prospect system. So they have a pretty deep prospect pool, um, and those that should help their cap situation a lot because they're going to have to rely on, on those guys in particular. Um, the negative thing uh, with that, Brett, uh, while you do have Matthew Boldy, you have a year left on his uh, less true. than a million contract. And, and around that same time it expires, uh, six million cap hit from Mac Dumba could hit the open market. So yeah, no, that's fair. That's you fair. have to worry about him in about a year or so. True, true. It is crazy. I'm looking here. They have seven million for Jared Spurgeon. He he did have a good season, but that's yeah. that's crazy. Uh, a very long term for him, and he's 32 years old, uh, so that's yeah. that's not good. And six million for Jonas Brodine. That's um, so I don't mind that because he's very good at shutting down teams. True, but for six million, that's a little much. Um, true, but he's also four years younger than Spurgeon, so... True. I don't know. I, I feel like... It, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's yeah. still not good. It's still I, pretty dicey, though. I, w- I would rather have Matt Dumba than Brody. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and yeah, and you also have Matt Zuccarello for a couple more years. That was already a bad contract. He did have a good season, though, but... Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's not great either. So it's not just like the Parise and Suter stuff. It's just like all, a lot of long term contracts. Um, so the one thing I will say that has worked out for them, uh, and I wouldn't have said this last year, Ryan Hartman and Freddie Goudreau. Freddie Goudreau yep. for a depth guy that wasn't much of an NHL player before this year, yep. and the NHL duty that he got this year, he was pretty good. Ryan Hartman, career year for yep. him. I don't know if he keeps it up, but if he does, that's a huge score for them too. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think that Ryan Hartman would be a good center for them, but yep. uh, he was. So, um, I mean, I guess like a lot of, like as we're learning, I think like, you know, Kapril Kaprizov made uh, Victor Rask look good, so it's like he can make a lot of the centers look good. So who knows how Kaprizov, good. Kaprizov, <laughs> by the way, seven goals in that six game yeah. series, so not, yeah. not to blame for that. He did his part. True, true. Uh, so it's like, he, I, I feel like you could take a lot of players um, and, and make him good if you have him as your center. But like they could be even better if you have a guy like Marco Rossi who's good on his own, um, and yeah, we'll see. But yeah, you're right, Freddie. I, I, I Freddy, hope the young guys. I hope the young guys are ready because they're probably going to be using all of them moving yeah, forward of as course. soon as next year. But that that's exciting too because like Boldy, Rossi, uh, Addison, um, they're they're they they should be pretty good. And like Kaprizov was also a young buck. You he's still kind of young too, so. That yeah. could help as well, but yeah, I imagine, uh, I imagine Kevin Fiala. It's tough when he's an RFA, but I imagine Kevin Fiala will probably be traded because um, I just don't see how they can sign him. 
Um, yeah, and, and that's going to be a tough situation. And the, the, again, this is where the dead cap burns you because when that dead cap finally goes down at the end of three years, Kaprizov, who is making nine million, will have one year left on his contract. Yep. And then he could hit the open market. And at that point, he'll be in his early thirties, I think. So yeah. Uh, Unless he it's takes, a, it's yeah. a can't win situation for Minnesota. They have this dynamic young player, but they're kind of cash-strapped yeah. as to how much they can do with this group. Unless he takes like a team, a very team-friendly deal. Um, but uh, I don't. That doesn't seem like him. I don't know. Yeah, he's well. He's already committed to the deal. There's not much you can right. You can do for the next couple of years, but beyond that, yeah. Um, it, it, it just sucks because the bulk of Kaprizov's deal, you have to deal with. That. But like, like I, I could see like he'd be like, oh, okay, Wild have a bright future. I want to stay here, so I'm gonna take less than what I'm actually worth. Yeah. Which is again why those entry level contracts are so crucial because. Yeah. If all of those guys are producing at NHL caliber yep. level, like 50 to 60 plus point seasons consistently yeah. for the next three years, that'll at least help them manage around the dead cap and they can keep their roster somewhat competitive. So that's why a lot of those ELCs are, are potentially going to sink or swim this roster, yep. which is unfair to them because... You know, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. When you're, when usually when you're in that spot, you're just like, yeah, you don't need to be the star of the show right away. Except yep. for Minnesota, they kind of have. To. Yeah, it's interesting because like the the Wild do like I think of all the teams that we've done obituaries for, it's like they all, you know, some of these teams are just have an aging core, or you know, they'll probably won't make the playoffs. I venture that the Wild will make the playoffs again, um, but it's. Uh, but yeah, their their cap situation is just like, and not to mention the fact that like you know, unlike the Bruins, Caps, and Bruin, um, and Penguins, um, and they like those like the Wild do have a pretty pretty good prospect pool uh, going on, whereas the uh, those other three you know what are. I just found very interesting, Brett. I'm just looking at uh, the goals scored uh, throughout the regular season. And there are only five teams that scored at least 300 goals this season. Three of them were in the Central. Wow. St. Louis was third with 309. The Avs, shockingly, below them at 308. And Minnesota at fifth yep. with 305. Yep. And, uh, yeah, the team that scored four more goals than them in the regular season ends up eliminating them. And that's largely because they turned to Jordan Binnington for game four. If they keep Huso in the net for the entire series, I don't know if the outcome of the series would have been the same. Yep. I, I think uh, Minnesota found a crack in Huso's armor. They were exposing it. They are exposing it early and often. And I think they win that series if they don't make that goalie change with Bennington, which is funny because I was laughing at the time, just like, oh, they're going for Jordan not so Winnington since 2019. And then, of course, he wins three straight and knocks off Minnesota. So, yep. that's yeah, a, Playoffs are weird, man. Playoffs are weird. That's a good lead-in to our preview here, the Ryan O'Reilly-Eric Johnson series, yeah. um, <laughs> also known as. Um, so, yeah, Colorado-St. Louis. Um, yeah, I... See, or the Paul Korea series, how about that? No, about that's that another one? one. Wait, he was on St. Louis? I guess he was. Yeah, for a hot minute, but he played for the Blues. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm pretty sure, let me check. I'm pretty sure he played for the Blues. No, I, I believe you. I believe you. Um, Ryan Reeves, wasn't he on? Yeah, he played three seasons, parts of three oh, wow. seasons with the Blues. I was correct. 
Wasn't Ryan Reeves on both teams at one point? I don't think he was on Colorado, but he definitely was in St. Louis. I remember okay. because I think the Penguins traded a first-round pick to get Ryan Reeves. Uh, that's right, that's right. That was, that was a meme for the longest time, but I, I don't think Reeves ever played for the Avs. So, okay. Yeah, uh, for, uh, I thought he played for the Avs for some reason. But, no, okay. No. Good point. Um, in terms of this, yeah, I mean, I still... It's, it's tough. I, I feel like I'm biased towards Jordan Bennington, but, um, and it was impressive that St. Louis was able to beat the Wild in six, um, but yeah, Colorado is unreal on another level, so I have to, I have to go with Colorado in six. Uh, they've been unbelievable, so um, yeah, going with Colorado in six. Um, this isn't when you know that if, if Jordan, if this is like Jordan Bennington just performs in the playoffs, St. Louis will win the series because uh, then, like, you know, it's just destined, I guess. But, um, but I hope that's not true. So I'm, I'm going with my gut here in Colorado in six. See, a lot of this could hinge on the health of Darcy Kemper. Yep. Um, and I don't really know when he's going to be back. Um, so, I call me crazy. I think it goes seven, but I do think the Avs are still going to win. They have home ice for games one, two, five, and seven, and the most games to me that matter are the games that start off a series and the games that end a series. If it goes seven, Colorado starts with home ice and ends with home ice, and that crowd is going to be rocking. They really feed off of that crowd. We all know their offense can score at will, and they do a pretty good job of keeping the puck out of the net, and their defense is just as deadly as their offense. And I also look at how they exposed Bennington relentlessly in last year's playoffs. I don't really know how much different the Blues are this year in the playoffs compared to last year. So I do think, to an extent, uh, Bennington is going to get routed. He is going to get bounced. He is going to bounce back. There is going to be more pushback from the Blues this time. Yep. But at the end of the day, Colorado's just got too much firepower. They are the favorites to win this series, and they will take this series. But I think the Blues will give them one heck of a fight, Yeah. Uh, especially after they handled Minnesota. And again, who, like I mentioned with Colorado and St. Louis, scored 300-plus goals and was one of five teams to yep. do that. So uh, if they can handle Minnesota's offense, even though Colorado's more stacked, I definitely think they have enough bite in that lineup uh, to, to give the Az a good run for their money. So yep. I think it goes the distance, but Colorado still wins. Shout out to David Perron, who had nine points in six of these games. Contract year, baby. Yep. I'm sure I'm sure that bank, uh, that asking price is going up with every goal he scores. Um, also, Ryan O'Reilly and Vlad Tarasenko had uh, crazy games, or had a good series as well. So um, so those those are good shout outs as well. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, we should probably get going though. Um, yeah. To the next series, which is uh, or the next obituaries is the Dallas Stars. Um, so, this was um, you know this was this series with Calgary was kind of interesting just because it was it was pretty underrated when you in the grand scheme of things because it was just like it was just a lot of low scoring uh, affairs. Um, Jacob Markstrom was pretty good, but Jake Ettinger, Ottinger was incredible. Uh, he had a 60, I think it was, it ended up being 61 saves, um, which is the second most 
um, in a game seven um, for Dallas. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, um, it was unbelievable. There was a point when I was thinking like, this Dallas Stars team might be like the 2012 LA Kings. Cause it's just like, you know, they had like incredible goaltendings, but they somehow uh, just found ways to win. And it was looking that way for a while now. And like, no matter what Calgary did, um, like, you know, Ottinger was stopping the puck. He was just, it was one of the most, it's up there. I don't know in terms of rankings, but it's definitely up there as one of the best goaltending performances I've ever seen. Um, the Flames was, managed to tie yeah. that game seven in the second period. They were trailing one nothing. Yeah. It was 2-2 two, two after two. But you wouldn't know it when you consider they yeah. outshot Dallas 26-4 to four in yeah. the middle frame, and yeah. all they got was two goals. It was nuts because they had 40 at the end of the second period. Um, I remember because I was uh, emailing you. They had 42 yeah. shots. Uh, Cal- Calgary ended up with 42 shots at the end of the second period. Um, the only thing more crazy about that is that Dallas had 12 shots at the end of the yeah, second period. Yeah, they had, to put that into perspective, I said uh, I think Calgary had like 26 yep. shots in the second period. Dallas Stars didn't even have that many shots when the game started overtime. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair, like, Dallas eventually started picking it up in shots in the third period. So, like, yeah. it, it did sort of even out towards the end. But, um, uh, but granted, it was just, like, it was crazy, too. Like, 61 yeah, shots. The shots yeah. were, like, 15 to 5 in the first overtime. Yeah. And I think it was, like, 2 nothing Dallas yeah. early in the so, first overtime. So, yeah. Calgary, within a couple minutes, just like, okay, you guys are done. Yeah, yeah. And, like... Kudos to uh, Johnny Goudreau. It was a really, like, nice goal that he had. But uh, Ottinger, like, stole the show. He, um, it was was really just, like, Ottinger who, um, like, just kept the Dallas Stars in it. Which is kind of crazy, too, when you think about it. Because, like, the Dallas Stars do have, this is leading into their um, obituary here. Um, You know, they have, um, you know, they didn't have Rupe Hintz um, in last night. Um, but like, they also had Jason Robertson, who had a pretty good regular season. He had a decent playoffs, but not t- a little bit underperforming. Um, you know, Joe Pavelski, who's still pretty good. Um, Rupe Hintz, who I mentioned. Um, of course, they have Miro Heiskin in. Um, but it was interesting, too, because, like, Dallas used to have... Um, it was funny, because I, like, the one of the, the first goal in that game was uh, Tyler Sagan assisted to... Jamie Ben, I forgot Jamie Ben was on the team, um, which is crazy when you think about it. He's the captain of the team. And he he's the, yeah, not only is he the captain of the team, but it's crazy too because he used to like score all these goals all the time. Um, you know, he used to he won the R Ross a couple of years ago, so it was yeah, just um, he did. It, it, so it's like you know that it's interesting that like Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, although they aren't as good as they used to be. Um, I do wonder, like, it is interesting that now they are more of, like, a secondary scorer-type things, and if you can have those guys as a secondary scorer and really start to get them going maybe, like, half as good as they used to be, um, then, yeah, you're, you're cooking with gas there. Um, but, um, but, yeah, who knows? It, it's, it's interesting, too, because it's, like, it's not that, like, Jamie Ben's that old anyways. He's 32 years old. Um... He is making nine point five million for three more years. 
after this season. So, um, so yeah, he's he's definitely you know I don't think he'll live up to that contract just yet, but I could be proven wrong. Uh, Tyler Sagan, you might need to worry a little bit more about just because he he's making nine point eight millions until the end of 2026, 27. So that's like five years from now. Um, and uh, yeah, that might not look great, but uh, but yeah, he he did kind of show some level of. Uh, scoring ability towards the second half, so maybe he can recover and have a bounce back year next year. But um, but yeah, nine point eight uh, for what he provided this year is not great. Um, in terms of free agents, uh, you have uh, for the UFAs, you have Alex Radulov, uh, Michael Raffle, uh, Vlad Nemestikov, uh, John Klingberg, and Andre Sakara. Oh, and Scott Woodward. In terms of RFAs, you have Denis uh, Garyanov, Jason Robertson, Studenik, and Ottinger. Um, oh, and, and you also have, oh, I missed the UFA of Brian Holtby um, as well. Um, so so that's, that's definitely um, going to be something. I guess, uh, so Robertson and Ottinger should be your number one priority number 1A and number 1B priority. Those guys are going to be your team uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, so you also have to lock those guys up. After that, don't yeah. forget him. Hins is another one, yeah, for sure. So uh, that that's going to be important for them to, to lock them up down. But yeah, the the Jamie Benn contract and the Tyler Sagan contract is not looking so hot right now. Um, and and even like the re-signing for Joe Pavelski for one more year is probably not great either. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, the Dallas Stars do. But they I they they have to sign Jason Robertson and Ottinger to whatever to whatever they ask. Like you know, um, we'll we'll see. The the one thing that is gonna probably cost them is their decision to keep John Klingberg. And I understand it at the time because yep. um, Miro Heiskanen was hurt around the trade deadline. Sure. Or not hurt, he was dealing with mono. And you weren't really sure what type of Miro Heiskanen you were going to get down the stretch come playoff time if you got there. And then they, of course, caught fire and it was fine. Klingberg ends up with 47 points in 74 games. But he was a minus 28, and that's uh, pretty sure, yeah, that's uh, the worst he's ever had in an NHL season. So not terrific, especially when you consider uh, how much of a piece Jay Gettinger had to be. You look at their goal differential in the regular season, and you look at their win tools, and especially in regulation, you compare that to overtime in the shootout. They got a lot of overtime shootout wins, and part of that is you get the RNG and one goal cans that you need. And you know what? They almost caught it again. Again, game seven, you would have thought, no way Dallas wins that. And yet they were one goal away from potentially knocking off the Calgary Flames. Jack, Jay Gettinger is that good. He is the real deal. That's the one positive thing that has emerged because you weren't sure if it was going to be Hudobin moving forward. You were hoping maybe Braden Holtby would kind of hold down the fort for a year or two or however long he was here for. You weren't sure about Ben Bishop's health. And the guy that started off as probably the four-stringer yep. of this hockey team at the start is the clear-cut number one choice moving forward. Maybe you trade away Anton Udobin uh, for the final year of its deal to get some uh, form of cap space there. Uh, the dead cap of Ben Bishop doesn't help you, but that'll be gone uh, after yep. next season. 
Um, so that helps as the Sagan and Ben contracts emerge. You got cap space with um, I believe, with uh, Radulov coming off the books there. To, to cut but you again, off there, with, sorry, to cut you off just a little yeah. there, I think there was talk that uh, Kudobin might also like be fake retired as well. Like he might just, that might also yeah. be counted as dead money as well. Like I, I think mm-hmm. he's similar to Bishop where he might, I, I don't think he can play again. Yeah, that that could that could be a possible scenario and a, a fortunate, unfortunate one at that. Yeah. Is, he, he's a, he seems like a great teammate and also had that run in 2020 that right. I'll never forget. Uh, some of his best hockey there. But yeah, needless to say, even by not keeping Radzlov, you're that money's going to go straight to Jason Robertson's pocket and it's going to go straight to Jake Ettinger. Ottinger, if, if you're looking at John Klingberg, I don't think his demands are going to change. He wants to be paid eight plus million. He wants to get Mira Heiskanen money. I still don't think he gets it in Dallas, and they're potentially losing him for nothing. You could have gotten some good futures out of that, and instead you might get nothing as John Klingberg walks on the open market. I will say, on the plus side, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before, if you look at some of the top scorers in the OHL, the QMJHL, and the WHL, even in the NCAA, You'll notice that there are some low-key, pretty good stars prospects in there that are making names for themselves in those leagues. Maybe a couple of those guys that are not in their system right away, right now, maybe in a couple of years they could be key contributors to this team, hopefully. And you also have Tyler Andrea, uh, Del Andrea in uh, the minor leagues trying to make a name for himself as well. Among other names, uh, Thomas Harley, another name on the back end as well, which could also factor into the Klingberg decision as well. So it might not be all that bad, but there are still a lot of question marks as to how good Dallas is going to be moving forward. And a lot of those question marks are going to persist if Tyler Sagan and Jimmy Ben continue to be, I wouldn't say non-factors in this offense, but not the driving force of this offense. Because at the moment, it looks to be Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz leading the way on top of an aging Joe Pavelski, who somehow still has it. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you mention Maverick Bork or Wyatt Johnson? Because those who are... I, those yeah, Wyatt out. Johnson is killing it in the yep. OHL, and Maverick Bork has also looked pretty decent, too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Wyatt Johnson was the name I was thinking of in the OHL, yeah. Yeah. But then um, you have some other names, too. Logan Stinkoven is another one, too. So. Yep. Yeah, um, he's another one. All right. Uh, the... Um, now we go to the LA Kings obituary. Uh, sorry, Steve, they did not win in Game 7. Um, hey, they were up 3-2. They were close, okay? <laughs> they had them going your, back home. Your hot take didn't last. Right uh, yeah, your hot take didn't last, I guess. Um, but Philip X Factor. You, was, you, you did call that. That's true. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, they did better than I expected them to do, um, even still. They um, also have a killer prospect pool. Yep, they do have a nice... Stars in the pro- prospect pool they have. Yeah. Future is bright for the Kings, and they also did that without Drew Doughty. Yep, no, that's a good point. Um, which is even more crazy that you, you predicted the Kings would win in seven. It's just like, they didn't even have Drew Doughty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um... Anyways, uh, in terms of, yeah, it was incredible. I guess it was like, you know, Edmonton, we'll talk about them in a second, but um, Edmonton did have, um, you know, they're, they're going to have goaltending issues, but of course, when you have Connor McDavid on the team, uh, you're, you're going to win most of your games, um, or you should win most of your games. Um, so uh, 
uh, it ended up not mattering that much, but uh, kudos to the Kings. They stuck with it. I was really impressed with Dano, as you were mentioning. Um, it does. It also felt like uh, Jonathan Quick uh, kind of like came back to earth, or not came, came back to earth, but uh, came back to his previous form um, back in his early days in his career. So that was nice to see, at least. Um, but yeah, of course, he just never made that run uh, like we were used to seeing. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, Philip Deneau uh, looked impressive. Uh, I was also impressed by Adrian Kempe. Um, as well, he was good. Trevor Moore is another one who uh, who looked good too. Um, in terms of the free agents, uh, Dustin Brown, uh, he's going to retire, but he's a UFA technically speaking. Yeah. Um, so he had a good career, um, and it'll be sad to see him there, but uh, or not not in LA anymore. But uh, but yeah, he had a good he had a good uh, career. I don't, he'll probably eventually make it to the Hall of Fame because he does have those two cups as the captain um, during that time. So I would imagine that could be good enough, but um, but I wouldn't be shocked. He's like a, he's like an, like a 50-50. I wouldn't be shocked if he makes it in just on that merit, but yeah, I don't think he's, he actually now that I think about it, he's probably not making the Hall of Fame. But, uh, but he, he was pretty good. Um, in his time. Anyways, uh, Athanasiu is a UFA. Um, Edler, Ulimata, and Troy Stetcher are also UFAs. They have a lot of RFAs, um, though. Um, so the, the main ones are Adrian Kempe. You also have Brendan Lemieux, Gabe Velarde, um, Leas Anderson, Carl Brunstrom, um, Michael Anderson, uh, Sean Dursey, and Jacob Movrer. Um, who I've never even heard. Is that, that's a player? I guess Jacob Moore is a player. Um, oh, Sean, speaking of players, I was impressed by Sean Dursey. He was he was one of the better Kings players. Um, so I was I was definitely impressed by Sean Dursey there. Um, it was interesting too. He had 16 points in 13 AHL games this year. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. He he was he was good. Um, and it was just it's funny too because there was a I, I forget if it was game five or game six, but. Uh, the Kings had two goals, and it was uh, Grunstrom and Dursey um, who scored that. And those were, uh, I guess, Toronto and LA made a trade uh, a couple of years back, and those were the Jake two guys. Jake Muzzin, I think, right? Jake Muzzin, right. And uh, yeah, both both Dursey and Grunstrom uh, scored in that game. And yeah, yeah, that's right, I guess. I mean, Jake Muzzin's not really a, an offensive defenseman anyways, but it is funny that, it was, that, like, that trade really paid off for the Kings. Uh, there. I also remember this clip of Steve Dangle just chatting about the series midway through and he, uh, post-game and pre-game not one to talk, usually pretty monotone, but Sean Dursey middle of the game him McDavid or the penalty box and he just starts chirping number 97 and won't shut up. That's funny. <laughs> the best thing you'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, th- I think the as you were mentioning, I think the Kings have like a very bright future. I didn't even mention Quinton Byfield, Alex Turcotte. I think is still in the AHL, but he should be good once he's called up. Um, so, so yeah, and, and you, you know, Kaliev played a, a little bit of minutes here and there. Um, so they, you know, they have a, a couple of good things going on in their pipeline. Um, and yeah, it was just impressive. That, like I feel like they're still like a year away from being really good, but it's impressive that they made it to the playoffs and made it this far. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, I, I was impressed by this Kings team, but um, we'll, we should be seeing them more, and they'll be even more dangerous next year or in the year after. Yeah, just taking a look at some of the guys on the Kings farm system and how they've done. Uh, Jared Aronson Dolan had 47 points in 54 games in the AHL. 24 of those were goals. Uh, Samuel uh, Fajimo had uh, 27 goals and 44 points in 63 games. Gabe Velarde, 38 points in 39 games played. Uh, Tyler Madden had 31 points in 48 games. Vladimir Tachev had uh, 29 points in 41 games, also played well in the playoffs. Uh, you look at uh, the guys like Akil Thomas, not great regular season numbers, but he got four goals in four games in the playoffs. So he was pretty good too. We mentioned Sean Dursey already. Uh, Rasmus Kapari played in 15 games and he got eight points in that stretch. Uh, Quentin Byfield had six points in 11 games, so he didn't play that much there. And then you uh, have the likes of Alex Turcotte, who was a pretty close to a point a game player, 18 points in 27 AHL games there. So the potential is there moving forward. We haven't seen enough of the Kings youngsters really make an impact at the NHL level. If, if much of anything, they made an, it didn't make much of an impact uh, this year or didn't get really a chance to. And this team still pushed Edmonton without Drew Doughty to seven games. They're a hardworking bunch. I like what I see from Philip Deneau. If he continues to produce at that offensive rate, I think that contract starts to look like a bargain. They have more cap space now that Dustin Brown is gone. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu, that's $2.7 million off the books if they don't keep him. Uh, yeah, I like what the progress that I've seen from Trevor Moore. Adrian Kempe had a 30-plus goal season. Um, there's a lot to look forward to with this organization. The one thing that concerns me a little bit is how their goaltending shapes up. Because, yes, you have another year of Jonathan Quick at $5.8 million. They also extended Cal Peterson midseason to a three-year deal at a $5 million cap hit. I'm not even sure if he's an established starter on this team, and they're ma and they're paying him five million over the next three years to do something. And then, of course, you have Drew Doughty in the prime of his career making eleven million dollars. That could be a contract anchor, but if you know if he's playing close to full seasons and he's producing at the rate that we know he can, fifty to sixty points, that's still pretty decent there too. And in that division where anything can happen and you don't really know what Vegas is going to do, how they're going to alter their team. I would expect that San Jose's circling the drain of mediocrity is going to continue, and maybe Anaheim takes a step up, but we don't know how soon. And then there's the unknown of the Canadian teams there too. Um, yeah. yeah there, there's opportunities for the Kings to prove that this year wasn't a fluke. Yep, yep. I don't think it was a fluke, but uh, but yeah. And if if anything, they they could be even better. Um, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, in theory. Yep. So I'm 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 keeping my eyes uh, peeled on this Kings team now. They got my attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the California teams uh, should be good in a couple more years. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Except maybe San Jose. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like San Jose could, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Bordelo and uh, Eklund, um, they're building something at least. It's the core that concerns me, not yeah, the young guys. That's fair. But <laughs> that's, like, that's what their <clears throat> offense supposedly were following. I mean, the the only thing and, that and and talking about the Kings, uh, just quickly, Victor Arvidsson uh, didn't really yeah cap capture my attention throughout that series yeah, and throughout the regular season. If he gets going too. 
Like yeah, sure. again, there's another weapon that uh, could um, that that could make his presence felt there too. Yeah, we didn't really hear much of him. Fair, fair. Um, uh, we have some more breaking news here. Um, okay. Vegas Golden Knights, they have relieved Pete DeBoer of his head coach duties. So and there we go. The Barry Trotz rumors have begun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it's not a surprise that uh, this happened. I, I would imagine Pete DeBoer will find another job. Maybe this season, but, uh, but yeah, he's. Uh, I, I think that was the right move. He's, um, he's 100% going to Philly, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. <laughs> Him and yeah, Martin we'll Jones on the Flyers. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be funny. Um, and we're delaying it all. Right, right, right. Okay, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, let's, yeah. Um, let's, let's preview this uh, Battle of Alberta. We're yeah, yeah, we're, we're about to. This, by the way. This, uh, this is actually, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Um, I do want to mention that this is the Mike Smith series, also the Milan Lucic series, uh, which is fun, too. And Cam, Cam Talbot series, but yep. even though Talbot's not on either team. I do like the fact that like all four of these series have a current player on one of these teams. Um, so so that was fun. Um, but I yes, think we could also include shout out Tobias Reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Teams as well. What was interesting with uh, Mike Smith, I I had forgotten he also played for Dallas um, early on in his career yes. too. So so if the Stars had won, I, it would have been Mike Smith as well. Um, the Mike Smith series. Anyways, uh, so the Flames Oilers, um, this is actually also, speaking of which, it's, it's also interesting because, uh, speaking of Mike Smith, because uh, he, um, uh, there was that, I think it was, it was either, it was definitely, it was one of the Kings runs, um, I think it was 2014 when Mike Smith was like the Arizona Coyotes goaltender, and it was pretty much, no, it was 2012, it was, it was 2012. 2012. Yeah, it was pretty much Mike Smith and um, against against the LA Kings, um, and uh, yeah, we're we're gonna see. And the Flames head coach um, is Daryl Sutter, uh, who was the Kings head coach at the time. Yeah. Um, so so that that's definitely um, something that's uh, I'm sure will be mentioned at some point uh, during this series. Um, I don't know. I this is a tough one. I feel like of the four. A series. This one's the probably the toughest, which is impressive because they're both, um, you know, all four of them should be pretty close. Um, I'll have you go first before I speak because uh, I, I say Calgary in seven, largely because they know how to defend. Like I know their offense against Dallas. You're concerned, like man, can this team just? counter with anybody in the playoffs because it was starting to look a bit like 2019 where all of a sudden their offense just disappeared in the playoffs but you know what give credit to Johnny Gutierrez and company they arrived just in time yep. they arrived when it matters and they got the key goals similar to Edmonton in game six and seven against the Kings it, it looked like their offense was silenced for good but when it when push came to shove they showed up and it starts with Johnny Gutierrez Johnny Gutierrez Imagine the rhetoric going into the season where he gets all those points in the regular season, doesn't really show up in the playoffs when it matters. He showed up, he got the game winner in overtime, and he persevered. And yeah. I feel that's gonna be a case with a lot of the with the, with a lot of Calgary's talents as well. But let's face facts. McDavid and Dreisidel, like they're the cream of the crop in terms of NHL talent, still remaining in the playoffs. 
And if you give them a chance to bury you, I don't care if it's Dan Blatter or Jacob Markstrom in the net. They're going to have a rough time going up against those two. Yeah. So Edmonton and Calgary, just, just for the sake of entertainment, I hope it goes seven, and I think it will go seven. But in game seven, in terms of who can play shutdown defense better, it's Calgary, and it always will be Calgary. So I'm picking yeah. the Flames to win this. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know. I think, like, on paper or, like, in just watching these series, like, Calgary was more impressive. Um, but, like, you know, 67 shots in, like, I don't know, what was it, like, 67 minutes? Um, so that that's that's impressive. But... Um, I think it was 75 minutes, because that's what said oh, yeah, yeah. game sheet was 75 okay. minutes. <laughs> but still, like, a shot per yeah. minute. Point. Like, point taken, yes. Point taken, yes. Um, it's just, so I do want to say Calgary in seven, because I do think the Edmonton goaltending is suspect, and this is where it's going to start to fall apart. But at the same time, it's like, am I really, like, doubting McDavid and Dreisaitl? Uh, I, I don't I think I doubted them in the first round, bro. Yeah, I don't you think did. it should surprise you. Yeah, uh, fine. I'm, I, I guess I'm going to go with Edmonton in seven, even though. Yeah. Yeah. If they do, if they do win, it'll take seven games. Cause like they're going up against the yep. Flames defense and the Flames goaltender that doesn't give up much yep. of anything. I, and, and those are the exact same weak points we've been critiquing the Oilers on for how many years? Yeah, now? yeah. I, but, I, but yeah, again, I, I get, I get your willingness to trust McDavid and Drysaddle because yep. maybe just something seems different about them. Yeah, I, six and seven. I, McDavid yeah. saw some, uh, displayed something we haven't seen before. Yeah, I get why you're picking Calgary. I I will probably be rooting for Calgary, um, but yeah, I, I just I don't I I don't know how like McDavid's the best in the world. This is like you know I guess this is what's on the line. If Mc, if Edmonton like doesn't win and McDavid doesn't show up, like, I don't think you can call him the best player in the league, um, or like he's just you know or you can't even like compare him to Wayne Gretzky because this is going to be like the make or break series for him because this is like this is the first real test to see what McDavid's truly made of. Um, but it, you know what's also interesting about this series is no matter who wins, we got a Canadian team in the conference finals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And they'll probably go up against Colorado. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. All right. Which, uh, which, will, which will kind of be a bummer. Uh, yeah. real, real quick, bonus question, Brett. Uh, we have to get to... Will Sackassian and Matthew Kachuk drop the gloves at least once in oh, the series? Oh, yeah, That's good right. point. I forgot about that storyline. Um... Yeah, I could see that happening. Although Cassian hasn't been as much of a factor as he used to be, so I don't know. Which is why I think he's more likely to challenge Kachuk, especially if the Oilers need to make a statement. Maybe things aren't going well. Maybe they need to set a tone. Dropping the gloves with Kachuk might do it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Especially when you consider you got Kachuk with like, I don't know how many goals, how many points this year, 40 plus goals, 100 plus points this year. You take him off the ice for five minutes, that that that's advantage Oilers right there, which is why I think Kachuk is less likely to fight because yep. he knows he needs to be out there. But with Zach, with Zach Cassian, he's got nothing to lose. Fair. He yep. takes Kachuk off the ice for five minutes and bruises him up a bit, sets the tone for his team. Like, he's got more to gain to fight than Matthew Kachuk does, in my opinion. Yeah, that's the, I mean, clearly, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, 
the uh, okay. Let, let's do it real quick because we're two hours and twenty five minutes in here. Like I really, this is how much. Yeah, let's wrap this up real quick then. This is how much I really want to do the power rankings because I thought this would be yeah. a cool idea, but right. of course we we know that the obituaries always take a long time, so it was bound to be a long thing. Um, so uh, let's just do this really quickly. I guess yeah. we'll we'll do eight. You just you know you don't even have to explain it. Just just say who you have. Um, so for the eighth spot, I have the Rangers. Eighth spot, I have the Blues. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right. Um, seven, um, I have Edmonton. Seventh, I have the Rangers. Okay. Six, I have Calgary. Six, I have Edmonton. Okay. Five, I have Carolina. Five, I have Calgary. Four, I have Tampa. Four, I have Florida. Uh, three, I have Florida. Three, I have Carolina. Uh, two, I have St. Louis. Two, I have Tampa. And then one, I have Colorado. Same. <laughs> That's pretty much the only one we agree yeah. on is the, is the first one. Yeah, yeah. Just, just the way that Tampa battled back in the Toronto series. Yep. I mean, how can I not go against them in the finals? Like, yeah. They, they, I, they, have a chance, they have a chance of life here. Yeah, the only reason why I had I noticed you had St. Louis at seven. I was like, God, he's gonna freak out, and I have him at two. The only reason why I put St. Louis and Florida ahead of the other teams or put them at that spot was just because they won, not in a game seven. Um, I felt like you know if you win, if you win less, you know, like not that like winning a game seven is impressive. It is, but. Um, it's just like okay, you're you're the better team that you didn't need seven games to to win out. So I was just like, okay, well St. Louis was pretty impressive. And not only that, but they beat like a very good team in Minnesota. So I was like, all right, St. Louis will be second. Um, I call find it. it absolutely hilarious how this dude cheers for a team that in 2011 when they won the cup won three games seven. <laughs> true, true. No, no, but like I mean, as long as you oh, win, that's so funny. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, but like I, I think like but wouldn't you agree that winning like winning in six games is more impressive than winning in seven games? I mean yes, but it depends on the quality of the team, like Right, but that means you, that you like the Tampa and the quality of the team they went up against, I mean I've that 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 sometimes a game seven win just wakes a team up. Yeah, true, true. There is something to that, especially for the Bruins team, that 2011 Bruins team. But, like, uh, I, I think there is something to be said that, you know, you, you get to relax a little bit more. Like, Colorado swept, and that's impressive. So it's like, yeah, what, what, like, why, like, not, of course, it's more dramatic to win in Game 7, but uh, that doesn't necessarily that they're, like, a better team than other teams that won their series more easily. Um, the main reason why I pick Colorado is because they're relatively healthy. Yeah. They uh, have a, a bit of time to rest up their guys, which could turn into yeah. rust. But anyway, I'll take the rest potential gain for that. And also, Nazem Kadri is likely going to play in the second round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Which they haven't had. True, true. Um, yeah, Colorado, I think, was the only one that we, we figured was the same. Um, yeah, and... You know, I it's funny. I'm actually going to be rooting for the Rangers, but I picked them eighth. Um, they're my bandwagon team this year, um, so we'll see. But I, I don't know. 
It's the second time in a row I'm rooting against Carolina. Um, shows what I know. Um, you're, you're just rooting against Tony D'Angelo and nobody else. Basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's unintentional. I do. I don't even hate Carolina that much. It's just, uh, it's just the way it works. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so that about does it for us here at Lace Them Up. Uh, I appreciate anyone who listens this far and got this far. Um, we always appreciate you guys. We've been doing this for a long time. You know how it is. So, um, anyways, um, our our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up, and um, you can uh, subscribe to us or uh, you know uh, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 321 of the Lace Them Up podcast.